there's been over a 20 to 1 return. If you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like $17 billion, but you think it's $200 billion. Here, yeah. You're okay. You're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These vaccines are highly, highly effective. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. They're really, really good against variants. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. Get your first shot, and when you're due for your second, get your second shot. Our key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to be in an ICU unit, and you're not going to die. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new a new way of doing the vaccine. The level of virus in the nasopharynx of a person who's vaccinated and infected is the same level as the level of virus in the nasopharynx of an unvaccinated person. Reports from our international colleagues, including Israel, suggest increased risk of severe disease amongst those vaccinated early. And if you look at Israel, mm -hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us, they are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent death. The booster might actually be an essential part of the primary regimen that people should have. The plan is for every, every adult to get a booster shot. It's uh, clearly one of the best investments uh, I've ever been involved in. How should we think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells? Can you kind of clarify that? Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, June 20th, 2022. Anybody want to explain for me how those two clips make sense together? How they can say safe and effective, perfect, it works, you won't do this, you won't do that, you'll do all of this, and then had this guy in the most recent discussion being asked, and him saying, well, obviously we don't have a complete understanding of how this works, but yet we know it's safe and effective, and we know it can't do this, and we know it will do that, right? Now, yes, there's things they sure that you could argue they would know, but you can argue very clearly logically that you wouldn't be able to argue it's safe and effective and you wouldn't know for sure or you wouldn't know that it couldn't cause something if you don't understand how it fully works <laughs> it's just it's just ridiculous where this has all got to 
Thank you for joining us today. Now, we're going to go over some important stuff, as always. And one of the things we're going to start with today is an interesting uh, Guardian article. It's gotten a lot of attention because they're, I mean, worse than usual, going out on a limb with nothing to back up what they're saying and calling anybody challenging a certain narrative of conspiracy theorist, in this case, focused on Eva Bartlett and Vanessa Bealey. And this is in regard to a network that they first called a Russian bath network. And then they censored that and argued like, I'll explain when you see it censoring their own articles, which is what keeps happening. A network of Syria conspiracy theorists identified. And why are they identified? I'm not even making this up because what they say is what Russia says too. <laughs> Must be exactly what they say it is. We'll go through how ridiculous it is and show you who funds the group that claims what they are saying. One of the first people that funds them are the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm not even making that up. It's not even related to COVID. It's, it's ridiculous how we can see this kind of tight-knit group of controlled information I mean, it's everywhere you're looking right now. We're also going to talk about some interesting things around the injection, which is what you see in the title today. Uh, Jordan Sastel with a great article discussing how, I mean, it's almost painful to watch how they are allowing this to go forward with infants, infants, children, babies, and injecting this. And he'll point out in his article that apparently that's one of the only, the only country in the world doing that under two-year-olds. Now, why does that make sense when you have other countries saying that they make a choice to not do it because one, they can't tell if it's safe or two, they can see that it's dangerous, but you're doing it in this country. Now we're going to talk about some interesting core overlap, what we're seeing in regard to hospitalization, unexplained mystery, baffled. We can't figure out why this is happening. And I'm sure you already have an insight into why you think that may be happening. And I agree. We're also going to talk about reproductivity and fertility, a new study that comes out that's not hypothetical. Simply finding that it does, in fact, impair, in this case, semen concentration. The COVID-19, specifically the BNT162B2, the Pfizer, no, excuse me, Pfizer-BioNTech, not community because that's not in circulation, because they can't use that, because if they did, you could sue them for what happens. That's really important to understand. We've had a lot of discussion about reproductivity and fertility, and this is finding pretty clearly that it does impair semen concentration. Now, whatever, if, if it's very small or it comes back later, of course it matters, but it still does not change the fact that that is something they called conspiracy theory. No matter how minute, no matter how temporary, it's very clear that it does have an effect on things that are involved with fertility and reproductivity, and you're still being censored for talking about that. Now, we're going to also show foreknowledge from specifically the vaccine National Vaccine Advisory Committee with HHS laying out a bunch of things that we're supposed to call fake news today as things that they knew before this all started. Now, we're after that, we're going to talk about EPA forever chemicals, both in the environment, but also specifically one of the leading causes, in my opinion, of what we're dealing with here in these forever chemicals, both being breathed in, going through your skin and finding them in the water you drink, is because of all the masks that are literally everywhere. Oh, and yeah, they're in the masks that you're breathing right now. And we only care now that they're in the water, Except it didn't matter that it was on your face or your child's face or your baby's face or your grandma's face. Interesting how that works. And we're going to finish with some discussion of Ukraine and how Poroshenko, the, one of the earliest U.S. puppets in Ukraine, openly discusses the fact that the Minsk agreements were just a means to an end, just to prolong the situation so they could get prepared because war was always the plan. I mean, it shouldn't even surprise anybody to see that. And he's openly discussing this in an interview because they are lying to you about just about everything you can see from Ukraine. And we're also going to get into the information coming from Ukraine and showing you how yet again, they are being Eva Bartlett in this case, somebody there in regard to Syria trying to undermine showing you what is happening on the ground. 
We just had a great interview with Eva Bartlett showing you the contrast between what the corporate media lies to you about and what she will prove to you is happening because she speaks to people on the ground and you can prove it for yourself. Now, finally, we'll talk about an attack on drilling platforms in Crimea and prove to you, based on the information we can see, that that's something the Ukrainian government said they were going to do. Now, did they do it? You can argue for yourself. But doesn't it matter that they say, we're going to bomb this place? And then when it happens, they go, fake news. That's Russia lying about us. Seems pretty interesting that they would point at it and then not. I mean, you can decide for yourself as always. Now, we're going to go through all that. Make sure you stay till the end. Important stuff to talk about. But to begin, like we've been doing recently, I wanted to show you another platform. This is Buy Me Coffee. I went over locals. I went over the one of the last one yesterday, I believe, was uh, which last one was yesterday? I'm forgetting all of a sudden. In any case, today we're looking at Buy Me a Coffee. This is one where you can donate and support the last American vagabond because, as I keep telling you, we're under attack like never before. It's pretty incredible. As our videos continue to get more reach, our overall revenue and traffic on the website continues to diminish, which doesn't really add up, does it? But if you want to see this platform continue, support us. And those that you do, thank you and appreciate your support because this is something that I will never stop doing. This is something that we all need to continue fighting for. Whether it transitions away from something we're dealing with today into some new story tomorrow, we will always need people spreading the truth and asking questions really when it comes down to it. Buy Me a Coffee has continued to, since the first little you know, issue we had in the beginning, which since then there hasn't been any problems. So maybe it was just an issue that like the argument was, it was a mistake. I didn't feel like it was a mistake. I called it out in the beginning. It seemed pretty obvious that we were censored based on content, but at the very least, they pulled it back and they left it. Nobody sent, nobody's messed with this platform since. So if you want to support us, there's ways to do so. $1, $2, $5, $10, and so on, sort of like Patreon. Jump in and support. Here's Rockfin, by the way, if you haven't seen that. It's another location where you can support The Last American Vagabond. Almost 30,000 followers on here already, which is pretty great. Check it out. Plenty of ways to support us, guys. And don't forget to check thelastamericanvagabond.com, the website where we put all of our content. Now, starting off on something I've been talking about, and I'm surprised I haven't done this yet. Kim Q Public did this today, which is what kind of drove me to do this. Just simply posted, test run. The Pfizer vaccine gives you long, healthy hair. <laughs> I guess sort of making a joke about my Rogaine analogy, right? But I said, okay, let's just let's do it, right? So I want every single person watching this show. You don't have to do it right now. Don't stay tuned, but after the show, come back, or rather, when I put the show notes in, uh, you and I'm trying to do that as quick as possible after the show these days. Go on and report this tweet because you know why it is medical misinformation. Now, it's sort of a counterintuitive thing because you know, all of us hopefully don't agree with the idea of censorship. Well, technically, you're not asking anybody to censor it, you're just going through their processes, processes and saying fake news, misinformation, and then they are the ones that choose to censor. The point is, as I'm reading or as I'm uh, writing for the podcast, according to the science, it says if you take the COVID vaccine, you'll be protected from any form of death for the rest of your life, <laughs> which is stupid. That pretty much means you're immortal. And I say, hashtag trust the science, hashtag I stand with Ukraine. My point in doing this tweet, guys, is to make a is to expose the reality. They're not going to censor this tweet. Maybe I'll be proven wrong and they'll delete my entire account and I'll be like, oh, shoot, I, I did lie. But the point is, this is not true. Obviously, if you take a COVID vaccine, there's no way in hell you're going to be protected from all forms of death. But my point, as I've been telling you, is they do not censor content that goes in the direction of their lie. If you, you could go crazy about it and I argue that it... As I said before, it makes you grow wings, but that you could argue is a joke. So this form is simply something people did even slightly argue already. 
that if you take the COVID injection, it decreases other forms of illness. It's not true. The reality is these things are dangerous and they are clearly hurting people. Based on all of the scientific peer-reviewed studies, we continue to show you. So when they don't censor this, we need to realize they are happy to allow you to lie as long as it doesn't go, as long as you don't prove what you're saying as I keep showing you. So come in here, go down to this point, hit wherever it is. Oh, wait. Am I crazy? Isn't there supposed to be a report on there? I guess not. Tell me if I'm crazy in the chat. What am I missing here? Isn't that supposed to be a report button in there? <laughs> oh, maybe you can't report your own tweets. I don't know. In any case, go on there and report this as medical misinformation and see how long they do not do anything. Now, on the note of censorship in general, I wanted to follow up with this because I said I didn't have this in the last show. Here's this woman that was talking about being censored on Truth Social. And by the way, she proved what she was saying. And apparently they pulled it back, sort of like we've seen already with me on the same platform, which should tell you something, guys. When they get enough attention, they try to act like it was a mistake, right? Which seems like is happening here. In this case, this is one where she pointed out that they're, all she's doing is basically calling this person who was arrested, apparently, for a, being a pedophile, a teacher, apparently a child rapist teacher. She called the person a disgusting pedo. And then they claimed, essentially, you can go through this real quickly. Here's the post that was deleted. And here's the follow-up. Apparently, what happened is they claim it was an auto-censoring phrase. Really? <laughs> so you're auto set like that's any better so you're censoring so it's not free speech i mean we need to understand what's happening in these fake platforms this i'm not I, i'm not saying i know that for sure in regard to you know let's just take them at face value maybe it's an auto censor like that makes it any better but anybody out there still censoring and claiming to be free speech it's not free speech simple as that i don't believe any of these partisan platforms are actually fighting for you now on the note of censorship in general i thought this was quite interesting in regard to, oh, wait, did I move this to the wrong spot? Oh, no, that's right. Okay, so I moved this over here just simply because the point is this has also been censored. For those that saw us in the past show, Ontario has now removed the data from their site that showed you what's going on here. That they that At any given moment, over 75% of people in the ICU in Ontario were people with whatever fully vaccinated means, as well as the fact that the even unvaccinated cases if you click on the link, shows you that they have injections in their body. So it's ridiculous. And this person included this just to make a great point, showing you that the risk per 100,000 has always been higher for the fully vaccinated and boosted in this location. This is the per 100,000 risk for seven days. Look at the top line. The top line is vaccinated with boosters. The middle line is fully. The purple bottom line, for the most part, is not. It's amazing. And this is why they censor this data, because it begins to show you what they just really don't want you to see. I feel like I have this either in the wrong place or I'm forgetting what point that was going to make. The bottom line was this is what I wanted to shout out. A new one from Jay Wilderness. <clears throat> As I said, it's incredible. It's being ignored. And for those on the podcast, this is his What's Going On Volume 6, discussing the collapsing athletes. And we just talked about this yesterday. So I want to include this so you can watch the video. It's just it's it's horrifically sad to think about. As I wrote down, both the FIFA and NIH studies that I've repeatedly shown, one is four years, one's 10 years, they found far less than what we're seeing in less than two years. And that point doesn't even include the jab. That's what's so incredible about this. That's, those studies are simply saying, this is how many people you would expect to see cardiac, you know, resulting in death, cardiac issue for athletes over a four or 10 year period. Right now, in less than two years, we are way past both of those studies. The 10 year study was over 
uh, I think it was 67 countries. Or no, excuse me, that was the four-year study. 67 countries. In any case, it's way past both of them. Before you even include the discussion of what's causing it, and yet we act like it's fake news? I mean, my God. Jay's doing a great job. Keep put, keep putting it out there, guys. It calls into question what we should... Horrific realities of people being hurt, whether children or athletes. It's just unreal. And as Aaron points out, and I think we just showed you this article, they think you're stupid. They do think we are stupid. As it says, Vice News, of course, the fantastically ridiculous propaganda outlet, this terrifying phenomenon is becoming increasingly common because of climate change. Headline reads, scientists studying temperature at which humans spontaneously die with increasing urgency. Now, sure, that's not that, not necessarily an incorrect thing. It sounds wildly rare. It's like, you know, it, uh, self-combustion, just like burn, exploding into flames like you sleep, I guess, is some ridiculously rare possibility, which I don't even know if it's ever been proven. But why would we not go, okay, wait a minute. We're openly admitting that there are injections we've given to everybody around the world that can cause this kind of problem. But we grasp at anything hypothetical we can point at. That's just stupid. I mean, that's willful ignorance. And I think at some level, these people know that. <laughs> this is just sticking with me. There was something, maybe I'll come back to it when I remember what the point was. But jumping into a quick foreign policy points here I wanted to make, I think this is really important. For those that have watched the UK extradition discussion with Julian Assange, there's great channels out there that basically only focus on this topic, and it deserves that focus. This is an incredibly important discussion. But I wanted to point out, since we're going over a couple quick points of foreign policy, that the federal government in Australia is at least claiming to be lobbying for Assange's freedom. Now, freedom may be the choice of the article here from the Sydney Morning Herald. Ultimately, what I s glean from this is that they're simply arguing that he should be released to Australia, which doesn't necessarily mean that he still won't be whatever, you know, put in jail, arrested, killed, put to, I mean, all the things we worry about the U.S. government doing, because Australia might as well just be the, you know, lackey cousin of the u.s government they'll do whatever it's the it's they'll do what they're told and caitlin johnstone from australia will pretty much tell you the same the point is that it's at the very least a possible good sign to see australia finally standing up and saying oh yeah he's an australian maybe we should say something about that as they're trying to assassinate him everywhere and i mean it's, it's horrific but maybe a good thing but i'm just not feeling that it will be because of the way australia has been and that it's maybe just about taking the heat off the U.S. government. I ultimately don't know. But none of this should be happening to begin with. And I already played the clip from Kerry Wedler the other day. It's just so obvious what's happening here. And another person just shared the same comment today on Twitter, which is the, right, the thing I've said many times. And a lot of people have. It's the most stark example of how ridiculous this is. That he, as an individual, or just to say specifically WikiLeaks, can expose that nobody denies active in just egregious war crimes, killing Reuters journalists, collateral murder, or any other example that he's shown you that we all acknowledge were undeniable crimes committed by people in the government. Nobody disputes that. Now, ha anybody remember how many people have been arrested or even investigated because of those crimes? Zero is the answer. Now, you know how many people have been investigated or arrested, or I should the numbers probably more than I can... Everybody they can go after who has been involved with showing you those crimes, revealing those crimes, has been attacked, arrested. I mean, who God knows. I mean, there's so many things that have been done to Julian Assange that people dispute, but it's horrific. No, okay, that's funny. Yes, I'm asking you to report Ryan's tweet. Orwell is in the chat saying, don't. I'm asking you two guys, just so we're clear on this. Report this tweet. That's the whole point. 
go on there and report this tweet, my tweet, report it as medical misinformation. That's the whole point because there's the point is they won't do anything about it. Right. I, I, if they censor my account, good. I'll jump onto the next one. The point is that they're, I'm going to prove that they won't censor it because I'm saying something that's pro vaccine. That's my point. Sorry to be confusing about that. Now back to this. Oh, and that just, that was just, I want people to see, Oh wait, did we jump past that already? Anyway, I forgot where I was on Assange. Anyway, check this story out. The reality is, pretty horrific that they're continuing to put this person in jail and potentially to death for espionage as it would be in the United States, which makes it a crime for the UK to pot to extradite him. It's simply going after the people that revealed the truth to you, right? Which is everything we're talking about today. Our, what T-Lab is doing, what any independent media is doing, they're attacking you for telling the truth. What about like with Patreon, right? It only becomes fake news when you prove it. That's what's happening here on a large scale. Now, another foreign policy, this was the point I was making about Syria. This was, oh, this was, I forgot to organize this one. It should be more over at the end, but Eva Bartlett, let me just, I'll just do that and show you at the end here. She, it's a follow-up to this next point where she's being attacked by NBC as well. <laughs> but here's what Caitlin Johnstone uh, points out, and this is what starts the point, that The Guardian had quietly edited their, their article. Nice stealth edit, she calls out. Did you make it because you were in such a hurry to crank out your smear piece that you didn't notice that nobody had any evidence that people were smearing or Russia-backed, which is the point. They say Russia back simply because it's something they say Russia says. Therefore, if you say it, you are Russia back. That's ridiculous. That's child level logic. But that's what they do. That's what that's why they can say, well, here's what Putin wants, right? Here's what he dreams about, right? It's like, here's how his here's how his hands feel today. Like, what kind of garbage are they pumping out? What do you mean? How could you possibly know what he wants and feels and thinks? Everybody could acknowledge that. And here's we're doing the same thing. You can't know for sure without any evidence. So they quietly remove it, but they still push the article. And here's the article itself saying network of Syria conspiracy theorists identified. <laughs> Why identified? Because you're pointing at them. They're not identified by anything other than a, a group that you guys have created to be able to call out people telling you the truth. And I'll make this clear to you. I'll read this first. The network of more than two dozen conspiracy theorists, that's they're calling them that, right? First of all, ask why they're conspiracy theorists. Let's just even say they are Russia backed, right? So let's just say they're backed by Russia. It's not true. But let's just say they are. And they're, and they're saying things that, by the way, you can prove are true. They just don't like them. Does that make them conspiracy theorists? It's a, it's a pretty clumsy conflation of the term anyway, because they're, they're not necessarily. Well, they do try to go through and make their claims all fake. But we're, I'll show you why they're obviously not. Things like chemical tax in Syria, which I, I'm going to show you people like Robert Fisk, the late Robert Fisk, that proved they were lying. And they just pretend like it's not there. So they're not conspiracy theorists. For any other reason, that they're saying the thing you're not supposed to say. That's it. And that's exactly what's happening everywhere else. It's a conspiracy theory to say that the injection is harmful. It is. It's obviously hurting some people. It can be dangerous or however you want to look at it. It's a conspiracy theory to say it affects your reproductivity, which I'll prove to you today. Again, for the 15th time, it's a conspiracy theory to say anything we've proven over the that masks don't work. But we all know the reality. Now, it says frequently backed by core, a coordinated Russia campaign. Frequently backed by a coordinated campaign. Now, what you'll notice is they don't get into any of the actual evidence and details of why that's coordinated campaign and what that actually means. All that really means for their clumsy article is that there's this Russia campaign we point at, which is any narrative that we don't agree with. And that's because of a coordinated campaign. 
just assume that, right? Great journalism and say coordinated. So it works together to make sure that this happens and they frequently, so not always back what they're saying. But wait a minute, I thought they were working for Russia. So why wouldn't they always back what they're saying? You see the joke here. It's pathetically obvious. These people are just, it's a hit piece with nothing to back it up. It goes on to say, sent thousands of disinformation tweets to, to distort the reality of the Syrian conflict and deter intervention by the international community. To deter intervention by the international community. Like, what do we, what does that even mean? You mean, aside from the U.S. government illegally occupying Syria? You mean, aside from multiple other gun- countries working alongside the U.S. government? Aside, we're not talking about Russia, who was invited and is allowed to be there. Right? So what other, so, what, so the argument is that they don't want the U.N. to recognize the crimes that are happening? Like, this doesn't even make sense. But it goes on to say, data gathered by the Institute for Strategic Dialogue which I'll show you next, identified a network of social media accounts, individuals, outlets, and organizations who disseminated disinformation about the conflict with 1.8 million people following their every word. Now, continue to note that there's nowhere in here that they're, and it's not that long, where they're proving that it's disinformation. Now, you may ask, how would you do that? It's a good question. In most cases, it's pretty difficult, which is why they use that, unless you can show facts and show that they're, you know, countering the facts. But that's not what happens here. They simply go, this is fake because we've said it's fake, and Russia says it too, so they're spreading this information with these millions of tweets that we can't point at. It's just, it's just trust us. It's the Guardian says, and you know that we're trustworthy, so trust what we're saying because Russia bad guy. That's the level of kindergarten journalism we're seeing from these people today. It says the three principal false narratives promoted by the network of conspiracy theorists, all of them simultaneously involved, misrepresenting the White Helmets. Yeah. Okay, in in what ways? What they do? The volunteer organization working to evacuate people in Syria. You mean the group that's not actually the civil defense group, the group that took the name from the actual group on the ground that runs around with with English written on their backs in a Syrian in a in a country in the Middle East? It makes perfect sense, right? Why would they print themselves shirts that are English? It just it, it totally makes sense. I mean, the point I'm being facetious about here, guys, is it's been undeniably shown that the white helmets are a cutout. Now, you could argue they're still doing good things. That's also been proven to be wildly incorrect by groups like the Hague and international communities. These are the facts that the kindergarten journalists here don't want to call out because those are not supposed to be stated regardless of how you can prove them. Because if you state those facts, you're disinformation for Russia, even though it's true. Don't forget, remember during the WikiLeaks conversations or even 2016, do you remember what they said about the emails? They said very clearly, even though they're true, you're helping Russia. You're spreading misinformation. You're you're spreading information. I mean, it's not even disinformation if it's true, even though they tried to argue that. If you're helping Russia, it is disinformation, even though it's true. They made the same argument now that if you talk about the facts, if Russia says them in Ukraine, well, you're helping Russia. You shouldn't be saying those things because that helps Russia. Well, is your job to support the narrative for the U.S. government, or are you supposed to be journalists speaking truth to power? We all know the reality. Just think about how ridiculously obvious that is. They also focused on the denial of or distortion of facts about the Syrian regime's use of chemical weapons and on attacking the findings of the world's foremost chemical weapons watchdog. Right, because we know these watchdogs aren't influenced by politics at all, right? Before we go forward, let's take a step over here and look at this real quick. Well, first of all, since I ended on that last point, just remember the discussions we've already had. And this is what they're hoping most people don't remember, like the depth of work in not just the independent media, but even some of the in corporate media. This was from, this is Brandon Turville, always did a, always doing a great job, from 2017. 
An MIT chemical weapons expert debunks the official narrative on specifically the Concha Kun Syria chemical weapons attack, which is the one they're pointing at. And you can read this for yourself. Uh, this was, uh, I'm blanking on the person's name all of a sudden. Robert, uh, that Robert Perry wrote about it. I'm surprised. Oh, Postol, that's what it was. This is the MIT expert that wrote about this and said that this is blatantly not true. And then, as always, Robert Fisk himself. Robert Fisk went to these locations. Here's the first one. This is from this is from Zero Edge from 2018, where he says, I traced the missile casings that were used by Al-Qaeda in Syria back to their original sellers. Oh, weird. And that went right back to U.S. government or Raytheon or Boeing or the different groups. That's a fact, guys. Are you wondering why the corporate media didn't cover it? Well, you shouldn't be. It's quite obvious. They don't cover what they're not told to cover. Here is the independent where he where he's literally saying that. Now, obviously, you could argue the independent is um, when I remember when I say that I'm talking about usually Fox, CNN, the 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 main where the average person, the lowest common denominator ends up watching most of their news and most of them don't read these anymore. But it says it's time for the West to reveal who they sell arms to because he traced the casings to Syria back to their sellers. So if we know that it was used by terrorists and he traced them back to places like Raytheon, well, it's pretty obvious what's going on. Well, you know this because we've already covered it. But here's the main point where we covered this back in 2018, where, and this was the one in Duma, where he went and, and said they were not gassed. Fake news, fake news. Of course, they ignored it. That's what they do. Now, onto the group that's calling this out, the Institute for Strategic Dialogue about us. The Institute for Strategic Dialogue is an independent, they say, nonprofit organization dedicated to safeguarding human rights and reversing the rising tide of polarization, extremism, and disinformation. Of course, their, their mandate is to stop you from telling the truth. That's that's what I would read that as. Maybe I'm wrong, right? Let's 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 read that. It says we are always independent, maintain the highest standards. Let's see what it says. <clears throat> An independent organization, highest ethical standards, and then under the category of their independence, it says our independence guarantees us the freedom of responsibility to only pursue projects that comply with the core aims and values of the organization, according to their board of trustees. Right? So wait a minute. Totally independent to do what they want and go after what they want, but they've got a board who decides their direction. Partners include the Anti-Defamation League, because we know they don't influence directions at all, right? Combating Terrorism Center at West Point, the McCain Institute, you know, groups that just stand by and let you do what you want, right? No, incorrect. Here's the funders. Number one top funder, Bill and the Gates Foundation, because we know that they don't influence directions of the people they work with. How about the Omidyar group? Nothing to see there. Open Society Foundations? Nah, nothing, nothing important. And how about just the governments involved? Because, you know, they're claiming to be independent, right? And we all know what independent means. It means you work with the Australian government, the Council of Europe, the Danish ministry, the Dutch ministry, the European Commission, the Finnish Interior Ministry, the German Federal Agency, Canada, London's Mayor's Office, the Netherlands, the New Zealand government, Norwegian ministry, the Swedish ministry, the UK Foreign Commonwealth Development Office, the UK Home Office. And, of course, without fail, you're never independent unless you work for the U.S. State Department, right? Of course not. Come on, it's just silly. And then if you want to make it even more ridiculous under the private sector, remember, guys, we're talking about funders, not just associations, people funding this group. <laughs> Guess Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and YouTube, Spotify, Jigsaw, you know, all the rest of them too. I mean, come on. I can't even believe they could, they even have the nerve to stand there and look and say, we're independent. We do what we want, except all of our funding comes from one, some of the most suspect groups on the planet who do not fund things without having influence <clears throat> over their direction. In any case, 
it's obviously not independent. And at the very least, it's wildly suspect when you've got the U.S. government of all people and the social media platforms actively censoring narratives they don't agree with that are true behind the idea that these are all conspiracy theorists spreading fake news about things they don't want you talking about. I mean, come on. How childish. I mean, could they not have just picked a group that didn't have ties to literally everything? My God. But let's go forward. <clears throat> it says, oh, and the, the chemical, the point about the chemicals, guys, is every single one of those, as you know, as we've routinely debunked, have been called out or are completely unproved. I mean, you go all the way back to some of the earlier ones. People from like, like Carlo Del Ponte from the, the UN openly says on the record that it was not the Syrian. It was the rebels that were backed by outside forces that used these weapons. She says that on the record, and they still to this day point back and say that it was Syria that did it because they don't care about the facts. The White Helmets became a target of Russian ire after documenting incidents such as the chemical attack on where? The one we just pointed out, that Robert Fisk and everybody else admitted wasn't actually what happened. And yet they still pointed it right now. That's the kind of garbage we see. I mean, they still they still generally point at things that were involved with Russiagate, for crying out loud. Like everybody anywhere who has two brain cells to rub together can see that that was, I mean, it's like pretending like we can't see that the argument of climate change is, is not politicized or can't see that it's politicized. Now, I'm not I'm never arguing that we're not hurting the planet. I mean, anybody can see that. But what they're pointing at when they argue we need to stop climate change is lies they create because they don't care about the environment. It's a means to an end. Carbon tax is never going to help this planet. People that want to believe that will argue that, but it's simply a way to, to manipulate and control population. Same thing we're looking at here is they're just simply pushing lies and they won't change their narrative even when those lies get exposed. Now it says a third of them children and UN uh, unit leader concluded there were reasonable grounds to believe. Now, can you believe that that's what they, they even quote that. Reasonable grounds to believe that they did this does not mean we know they did it. Does not even mean that we can prove they did it. It simply means that, yeah, you know, logically speaking, could they? Yes. That's it. And that's their that's their standing. So we have people like Robert Fisk and others that go to the ground, prove it, talk to locals. There's no evidence. Everything completely wildly debunked. And that's their because they said they could do it, they did it. My God. A new analysis contained in a report by the Syrian campaign also found that official Russian government accounts played a key role in creating and spreading false content. With them? No. Did they did they do it together? Did they send it in an email? Did they? No. So Russia's doing its own thing with the Russian embassy in UK, Syria playing a prominent role. Okay, so they spread fake news, they say. So because they're simultaneously spreading fake news, they must be working together, right? That's any, anybody would say that. I mean, I just can't get past the kind of things they connect together. The new analysis contained by the report found that Russia's government accounts played a key role in creating and spreading false content. Why does that even connect with the previous statement that they were doing the same thing? Of the 47,000 disinformation tweets sent by the core of 28 conspiracies, they, they, they jump past it. So they argue these people are spreading fake news. Then they insert a, co a comment that says, well, Russia was doing it too. You're supposed to interpret that as working together. They don't even they don't even make the argument they work together. They just apparently simultaneously spreading fake information when one of them is not even fake is enough. You're automatically working together. That's child level logic. That's not even logic. 47,000 disinformation tweets sent by the core of 28 conspiracy theorists over seven years. Are you again, where's the link, the source material? Are you proving these are each disinformation tweets? How much you want to bet almost every single one of them are things that we can prove are true? 
from 2015 to 2021, 19,000 were original posts. What does that even mean? Which were retweeted more than 671,000 times. Among those, the argument there is they're supposed to be suggesting that other than 19,000, they were just copying and pasting other people's tweets. And I can prove to you that that's not what's happening, specifically with Ava Bartlett and Vanessa Bealey. Among those named in the report as influential spreader of disinformation, they say, is Vanessa Bealey, a self-described, <laughs> self-described independent journalist. So she's, so she's not a, a journalist. Well, it's just, those are the kind of childish level actions they take. You can still say she's an independent journalist and you could pretend that they, she spreads misinformation. You're not just not a journalist because, I mean, it, that's, it's, it's like calling they, a blogger like they did last time. It's meant to undermine in a childish way. You're taking an attack at her. Self-described journalist whose conspiracy theorists have cited as evidence by Russia at the UN Security Council. Right. So her evidence has been presented in an official capacity at the UN Security Council. But it's fake news, though, because Russia did it. That's actually their argument. And maybe they actually believe that makes sense. In September 2015, Bealey accused White Helmets of being in league with Al-Qaeda and other terrorist organizations. You mean because they were literally taking photos alongside of them, working with them, beheading people alongside of them, having members that were literally seen with patches of Al-Qaeda and then simultaneously working in the White Helmets? None of that matters, apparently. It's all documented. Claims that the footage they gathered and rescued civilians and bombed out buildings were staged. Yeah, like you mean the one where they literally got caught and they pretended it was a mannequin challenge where they faked that guy in the, in the dust and he stood up and they took pictures giving high fives together? Yeah, that was obviously fake. Others include Canadian independent journalist Emma Bartlett, who appeared on a Syrian government panel at the UN, alleging that the White Helmets staged rescues. Again, they have been caught doing that multiple times. One version of the talk has been viewed by 4.5 million people on Facebook. White Helmets volunteers are the most frequently attacked targets with more than 21,000 tweets designed to, what, discredit the group or encourage attacks against their first responders. What? I mean, guys, that's like libelous right there. You are pretending that their statements of fact, even if you dispute the fact, is encouraging people to attack them. This is about the same kind of clumsy connection they're making everywhere else right now. That because you spread this, you're creating violence. You're putting their lives at risk. At never at no point are they asking people to hurt other people. That's blatant lies. Unlighten, I mean, I guess like everything else they're doing. Encourage attacks against their first responders? That's not happening. But you see, what they're saying is they uh, were designed to discredit the group or do this. Not that they prove that. That's what they think. But that's all their journalism is today. Here's my thoughts as fact. It says down here, normalization of Syria's Assad regime and emboldening Russian President Vladimir Putin to replicate the tactics in Ukraine. That's what they're trying to do, essentially. So normalization of an elected government that's openly supported overwhelmingly by the population. Oh, terrible, right? Uh, Assad regime, they say, right? Because it's the guy who's doing all these terrible things. No, all the things they keep trying to say they do. Now, I never have said that these governments aren't capable of the same problems, the same crimes. Every government in my mind is alarming. I don't like government. But... Every single thing they've argued about him, including shooting people in the, the protests that they blamed on him, just like they faked in Ukraine, same thing in Syria. It's been proven, as well as the fact of the chemical attacks they lie about, right? That's, this is an elected government. Now, regardless of what you think about what they say about him, he has the support of the country. They have their sovereignty. Russia's allowed to be there. When you're talking about replicating tactics in Ukraine, again, that's projection. That's what they're doing in Ukraine. Now, it says down here, of course, the headline of the article was amended to remove Russia backed. 
So at the very least, they admit that they did that, which they never really do. But all they're saying is, well, frequently backed. So it's not backed, right? They got caught is the idea. Now, this is pathetic, guys. When you have a group like this that is literally funded by the government and they make an attack on the people that are challenging their narratives while we prove those narratives, this is just bad. I don't think anybody buys this stuff anymore. That's why I think they're having a hard time. But they're sure as hell trying. And here, as Eva Bartlett points out at the end, NBC is also doing the same thing. Basically coming on and going, uh, I'm a reporter for NBC News. I'm reaching out about a new report from the ISD. That's what they're looking at. The same thing right here. Saying that uh, on the reach, a network of Western influencers spreading pro-Kremlin narratives. Now, is it pro-Kremlin to point out that your government just lied and they got caught lying? Well, they would argue that. It's the same thing they're saying today. Well, it doesn't matter if it's true. If you say that, you're helping Russia. Well, no, I'm not. I could care less about that comment. I'm saying it because I care about the truth. Whoever that helps. That's the point. They just can't even, they don't care about that. Your channels are mentioned as a major vector for Russian propaganda from this network. Again, the even argument overarching of everything is that they're somehow all interconnected. That every one of them work together in some big network about pushing Russian narratives. There is an absolute chasm. There's lack of evidence. Zero evidence for that. If they had it, they would show it to you. Are you kidding me that we have corporate level entities willing to stand up and shout things like this with nothing to back it up? You only do that when you know you're protected. This is this is wildly unjournalistic. This is the, this is this is the counter to journalism. You are standing up and spinning your own narrative as fact because that's the point. But we all know this, don't we? I feel like that's a perfect overlap for what's happening and everything in COVID-19. We know they're lying. So what's the next step? What do you do next? Right? It's, we all need to recognize that everybody sees this. Here's the point I made earlier, as, the, as Jordan Satchel points out, America is now the only country in the world that authorizes COVID shots for infants. Infants that do not need this, that are not at risk. By the way, this is weird. Whatever, both Substack and Medium, for some reason, when you highlight the page, Everything gets all, everything wigs out. Watch this. I don't know what the hell that is, but so despite what you are reading in this, in the press, the U.S. seems to be, as of Friday, the only country in the world to partake in experimental COVID therapeutics for infants. And this is, in this case, under two years old. Now you can go through this and read some of the tweets he points out, but the main point is none of the nations are using mRNA that are actually even going under five. That's really important to understand. So they're trying to pretend like, no, it's not that unusual. Everyone's doing it. One, they're not going under two years old, but the ones that are, aren't using mRNA injections. Now, that's important, especially when we point at India in a moment and show you why that's happening. Because they demanded actual independent investigation, independent studies, and Pfizer ran screaming. You know, that's my, my analogy of it, but they said, no, well, never mind then, never mind. We, re we rescind our action, we rescind our, our ask for emergency authorization. Really? So you, you walk away from huge profits because somebody wants to actually test their own safety? Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know? We'll show you in a second. But it says, and none of these countries are allowing for COVID shots between the age of six months and two years old. Only country in the world doing that. Are, you, are we going to pretend that they just see things differently? That their data, which everybody else has access to, is, is just misinterpreted? Everyone else in the world sees that this doesn't make sense. But they're still doing it anyway. 
as we just, as you know from yesterday, they just authorized, not approved, even though they're lying, even PBS said approved, authorized for an emergency use of these injections for toddlers, even though we're not in an emergency and the things I listed off yesterday. There's five different reasons why the emergency authorization is illegal based on their own definition. But here's the point we were just making yesterday, that as they progress this into the 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 universal injections, which has always been the point, they're going to no longer do safety testing. Or at the very least, they're going to be voting on this in about a week. And I can promise you, in my opinion, I know this. they're going to allow this because that's been the plan for two decades. It says, if allowed, all reformulations will skip clinical trials. I can't even believe that's a sentence anybody thinks makes sense. Pfizer and Moderna have a problem. Their mRNA COVID shots do not stop infection, transmission, hospitalization, or death from SARS-CoV-2. Far more Americans have died of what they're telling you is coronavirus since the introduction of the shots than before they were introduced. It's amazing little facts like that just don't change people's minds, right? So Pfizer and Moderna have figured out a way to use regulatory capture to get their reformulated COVID-19 shots approved without further trials. Their scheme is called the Future Framework, and it will be voted on by the FDA's Vaccine and Regulated Biological Products Advisory Committee on June 28th. And we know how thus far how they've done. They're just a, they're what's the right frame uh, term for that? They're a rubber stamp. That's what they are. They've shown themselves to be wishy washy, going whatever way the wind blows. And they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be making sure it's safe for you. They're not. It says, but a case study. A flu outbreak in the University of Michigan between October and November found that the effectiveness of the flu vaccine was literally zero. Like this is in, in association with, with they're, basically they're discussing whether or not it's valid to have something like this when with the efficacy so low. Remember, this has been below 50%. And I'm going to actually make a point about this next. But even the flu, basically, the idea is they're trying to do the same concept with the flu vaccine. And what they're saying is last year apparently was maybe 8 to 14%. We're talking flu injection right now. But a case study showed that in general, in Michigan, between these time frames, it was basically zero. And yet it was still being pushed and, and, and recommended. I mean, think about how gross that is, especially since we don't even know if that's safe alongside what you're being given. It says the FDA knew that COVID shots would fail, but they proceeded anyway, which we proved to you in their own documentation, which is the main point we're going to make next. Their own, that's the crazy situation we're in right now. Their own data proves what we're saying, and it's still called fake news. And this is not disputable. We're showing you in their own data what it, what the breakdown is, and all they do is some kind of manipulation of what it means, and or rather just pretending like nobody but them can understand what it looks like. Right, because understand this isn't, we're not, we're not just saying, well, because Ryan says, Right. We're talking about what other highly credentialed doctors, scientists, experts are saying when they interpret this data, you know, that have entire backgrounds and credentials in these exact fields. But they're all fake news conspiracy theories that have been debunked for 30 years. Right. So we just ignore their expertise because that's a logical thing to do. But no more safety tests. So here's the link to the the meeting, which is going to be on June 28th. Make sure. Check it out. Watch it. These things tend to be very long, but if you got any good things, any information you see, make sure you let me know. My gut is going to tell me that they will do this because that has been the plan for a very long time. Fauci's been talking about this long before COVID-19. Now, the problem, though, is that right this moment, the data on the table is showing you a catastrophic problem, and they're just pretending like it's not there in hopes they jump past it to this, and then, then it doesn't matter anymore, right? 
Because if they get this used for children, especially as we keep telling you, as RFK called out, it's indemnity. Doesn't matter after that. And then they just go from the next one to the next one and just skip clinical trials. And you get so far down the line before you even find out what's going on, it doesn't even, it'll end up being SADS or this or climate change or whatever they call it, which we, we are watching happen right now. So, seeing the actual side effects, being a, be ignored is infuriating. Here's an interesting point. This is from two. Uh, four days ago, London, Ontario, Children's Hospitals, Hospital Reports, or that was uh, Ottawa, London, I guess, and Ottawa, Children's Hospital uh, Reports, historic high emergency visits in May. Now, of course, the, you know this, this is a mystery. It's baffling, isn't it? There's no reason, there's no different thing we've been giving everybody that would cause this weird spike, right? Of course, their only focus, as you will see in any other place, is going to be, well, it must be some new strain of COVID because they're, they're protected. They're, they're operating under these assumptions, which then alter their end result. It's the same idea with anything we talk about with statistics. You pump in bad data, you're going to get bad results. So they're starting with a false premise that these things are safe and effective. That we know they protect kids. No, no, they don't. They're not, and they don't. And that's the simple reality, and we need to stop shying away from saying that. As it says right here, the rise in emergency visits, Lim said. It's, uh, Lim was the, where was the doctor here? Dr. Rod Lim, medical director of the pediatric, pediatric emergency department at the Children's Hospital. He said it seems very similar to Ottawa. In the rise in emergency visits is due to children contracting viruses normally seen in the winter months. Okay, that's different such as influenza and respiratory synaptical virus. So they're coming right out and saying, well, it's not COVID. Okay, well, it's not COVID. What else do we know that causes, I don't know, increases in infections in other areas of your life? Well, both the injection and the mask they're wearing. Fact. Now, I'm not saying I know that's what's happening here. See, because we're honest. But we know as a matter of fact that wearing a mask increases your risk of infection, specifically the ones that most people are wearing still, which are cloth masks. I believe that is here. Yeah, I'm going to point to this later in a minute, just so we can show real quick since I referenced it. A randomized controlled trial, cloth masks. Moisture retention, reuse of cloth masks increases your risk of infection. Cloth masks should not be recommended. I'm going to make a big point about this when we get to the F, uh, PFSA. I think that's what it was. PFAS, excuse me, the dangerous chemicals that are in your masks. The point, though, is the injections have been shown both in the first seven days and after pretty much every moment they're in your body, but specifically after three months to dramatically increase your risk. You have negative efficacy of, of specifically getting sick with whatever they're calling COVID. But remember, in the beginning, the first week, you're generally increasing your risk of any infection. That's a fact the Pfizer documents showed themselves. They just argue because then it dips back down to efficacy. Well, it's worth, and that's why they pretend, oh, we have to wait 14 days. You're hurting yourself. Why would you not factor in that the, the injection's causing you to be more susceptible to anything you might come across? And then let's say you get sick and die two days later. Isn't that the injection that caused it? Obviously. The injection's what increased your risk. <laughs> and they just go, well, wait till 14 days because then it's, then it's working. Well, okay, fine. Even if you want to pretend it doesn't work until 14 days, the thing that caused you to get sick and die was the lack of the increased risk of infection from the injection. It's just all games of numbers. and They're playing you right now. So what we're staring at back at this point is he's saying a dramatic increase in children contracting other types of viruses. 
Now, of course, you could argue there's other things that could be causing that, but why wouldn't you immediately stand back and go, the mask that increases the risk of infection, the injections we're giving people, or just the things that we're doing different right now? What's this weird, unprecedented action that's happening out of season? Usually something that's different. But they will never do that because they just won't, they don't want to. It says, we are seeing these cases in the month of June, which is something I've never in my career seen before, ever. You know how many weird things you've seen since the beginning of the injection administration? I've never seen this many of this or cancers or children with this. or it's. I mean, I can't believe how much of this is being ignored. And that's why there's so many experts that are beginning to have the courage to speak out about this. He added that in, in the increasing numbers are also due to the children's hospital, quote, not being immune to nursing shortages, which <laughs> that's just a ridiculous con. So they're getting infections because there's not enough nurses. What a silly argument. But you know what? Even if they want to make that argument, what's doing that? Oh, that's right. Your ridiculous choice to fire people that didn't take an injection, despite most of them likely having immunity already based on other peer-reviewed science. It's pretty crazy, right? That's conspiracy theory statement today. <laughs> Quoting the science is conspiracy theory, which we actually keep seeing today. Absolutely incredible. Now, there was one I was, oh, that's right. I was going to play the, I don't want to find it. There, that clip of play from Dr. Cole, where he lists that off what he's finding explosion in cancer, explosion in all these different problems. He's been seeing this for a long time now, since the administration of the injection. I think that was this one. We know those signals from SARS-CoV-1. No, not that one. Sorry, I said I wasn't going to find it, and then I started, so I'm going to grab it real quick. There's another one I have of him where he lists off the other issues they're seeing. Maybe that was the one. We know those signals from SARS-CoV-1. We've seen this in, in cat coronavirus vaccines where cats ended up with this horrible inflammation swelling of the stomach and about 30% of the cats died. So we know once you prime somebody with an antibody and that antibody is good, great. But if you prime them with an antibody that is not good, sit back and pull out the popcorn because we're going to be seeing something horrific happening immunologically to a population down the road. The honest answer is we don't know to what degree, but we do know the history of this, and history is one of the best teachers that we have. Sorry, <laughs> I hate when I do that. Now, so I, that's not the right one, but in any case, it gives a similar point. I guess I deleted the other one where he lists off all the different things he's seeing in his in his personal practice and increase in cancers and so on. It's just, it's everywhere, which me, which shows you that plenty of doctors are ignoring it and internally know something's wrong, but they know that if they speak up, they'll be attacked. I mean, look, that's not even a question. It doesn't even matter if you think that they're right or wrong. If they're seeing something that to them seems unusual, they know that if they stand up and it counters the narrative, they'll lose their job. They'll lose their livelihood. So, I mean, that's a very easy thing to see. So that means that actual things that happen, whether or not they're associated with the vaccine, for fear that it might be misconstrued that way, will be ignored. We've broken the reality of any kind of honest, honest back and forth between anything medical and the average people. They've done that. It says, but it's not just the London region that's been dealing with the recent influx. The trend is occurring at where the Ontario Children's Hospital. That's right. That's what I think I just duplicated. Yeah, it's right there. That's See, I always confuse myself. I switched things up before we restarted. So that's the interesting point here. We know what's happening at the Ontario hospital or in Ontario in general. Maybe, guys, maybe, just maybe, that's why they just recently censored this. So you, now you can't find the data of what's happening broadly in hospitals in Ontario because that's what this link was about. 
Remember, we, we just talked about this the other day. They've now censored this. You now can't see this. If you go to look at it, it takes you to some weird page where it, it does not show you this. Loading for a second. The most important part, which is the actual pie graph breakdown at any given moment. It's been like this for at least five months that I've seen. That shows you, as it's loading, this graph right here. That and About 75%, and it fluctuates a little bit up and down, of people in the ICU who have COVID that they're told are people with injections in their body. ICU, meaning emergency room, like they're seriously ill, which is the opposite of what's supposed to be happening to people with injections, right? The point, though, is that that's why this is probably removed now. Because in Ontario, which is what this is, in a general sense, you have most people in the ICU with injections. And as he pointed out, even the unvaccinated are actually people with injections in their body. It's a complete manipulation. So going back to the point, if we now have a trend in Ontario's Children's Hospital where kids are exploding with all these problems, it just needs to, we, these are people with injections, guys. That's what's happening. On top of the fact that these are people that are wearing masks all the time, in most cases, because they're being forced to, especially children, and it's increasing the risk of all sorts of other things. Bacterial pneumonia. I've gone over this for a, for two years now. So as we see this and they're going, we're baffled, we're confused. And, we, and they're coming out saying it's not COVID. Come on. We are watching this burn down in front of us. At some point, we need to step up and do something about this. And I'm not asking for violence. But my God, these are we're watching people hurt. And here is Jose pointing out that in Portugal, here's the link. We'll show you next. The most vaccinated country in the world continues to show the large off-season. Well, that seems relevant, right? The off-season problem. Excess deaths. Large off-season excess deaths from all causes that began in March and May. Look at that correlation. I do not know where, where, what is more alarming. This extraordinary off-season excess of death or the silence of the people supposed to be calling this out. Come on. This is incredible. The overlap of May, the idea, I mean, we're watching this begin to explode like these, uh, these censored experts have been telling you it's only going to get worse. Here's the actual breakdown of the data. They're seeing spikes in all-cause mortality in times when they've never, in the history, historically never seen that. Something's got to be causing this, but they'll just pretend like it's not there, or they'll discount it as something else. Probably waiting to call it climate change, or waiting to introduce something else that they can blame it on. These are my opinions, obviously. Call me a conspiracy theorist. I've already seen it happen. Now, here's another report from Igor uh, Chudov. Finally proven. Pfizer's vaccine causes COVID reinfections, which we already know, and disables natural immunity, which we already know. I mean, we've already gone over this stuff. But here's a great discussion of this and breaks it down with their own data, which I'll show you on the actual report. But as he says, uh, it says reinfections in vaccinated people were never proven in large official randomized controlled trials until now. And as you know, randomized controlled trials offer the gold standard of evidence. Fortunately, he says we have data from Pfizer's own official trial submitted to the FDA. <clears throat> the randomized controlled trial concerns vaccinated young kids and proved beyond a doubt that vaccine vaccination causes repeated infections. Now, I'll show you right now, and I'm, I want to make sure I don't forget to come down. I'll come back to this next. I'm probably going to forget. Here is the actual report. Just so you can see, this is what he's pointing to. So obviously, a shout out to him for the great work finding this buried in these reports. The question should be, too, why isn't this being reported by the actual people they're supposed to be actually watching out for your safety? Here's what it says. Six participants, six to 23 months of age, 
you know, why in the world any parent thinks it's right to let their child be an experiment? Just grosses me out. Six to 23 months of age, three COVID injection, Pfizer injection recipients and three placebo recipients. It says all Pfizer recipients received three doses of a signed study intervention, so the injection, and one placebo recipient received two doses of placebo only, and two original placebo recipients received two doses of placebo, uh, 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 followed by a three doses of the injection, which I don't even know why that makes sense. Weren't they supposed to be placebo? And they just give them those on accident, maybe? I mean, I'm not even going to get into why that happened, but the point is that actually helps show the point. Six participants, two to four years of age, developed more than one virologically and clinically confirmed episode of symptomatic COVID-19 disease, according to them. All of these participants received three doses of assigned study intervention, except for one participant in the Pfizer group who received two doses of the Pfizer injection. All participants with multiple episodes were negative at baseline prior to SARS-CoV-2 infection. Now, what he's talking about here is what is it saying? There were a total of 12 kid participants who managed to, that's that weird part. I highlighted it, screwed it up, managed to get two COVID injection infections within the time frame of the trial. 11 of them were vaccine recipients and only one received no vaccine. The point is the people that got the injections got COVID more than once. Out of 12 who got two COVID infections, only one of them was was in the never vaccinated group. Only one. The other 11 were people that got injections and they got repeat COVID infections during a trial to find out if this stops people from getting sick. Why wouldn't that? that that's, that's incredible. Now you can go on to find that it actually does a lot more than that as well. Here's some things I found in this. It says observed estimates, observed estimates of vaccine effectiveness against symptomatic disease due to the Omicron variant included the following. Now, remember, we're talking about a trial that they're supposed the data that's supposed to, ju- to justify why this is something to give to children that are a wildly low risk of even getting COVID, let alone dying. Included the following. Because of Omicron, they say. 8.8% effectiveness at 25 or more weeks since primary vaccination in adults. So this adults, first of all, but just it's in the same study. Just make sure you hear that. So it doesn't matter what you blame it on. 8.8% efficacy at 25 or more weeks since the primary injection. Now, of course, this is their argument for why you need to keep going back forever to get more injections. But no, the point is they're going to keep you on that hook until they push out the one that's next without safety trials and act like that's going to solve everything. And I guarantee it won't. But the point is 8.8. Well, there's your argument for the emergency authorization. It should be over. 50% is the, is the threshold, guys. And that's what the FDA and the CDC agreed on themselves. They placed that arbitrary barrier in the beginning, and now they've fallen beneath it. They don't care. 8.8%? Seriously? With an increased risk of myocarditis and like 400 other things they've admitted to? Now, I'm not even being that facetious. There's been an unbelievable amount of things they've admitted can happen. Super rare, but it's a lot. I mean, you, you point at it, it seems like it's potentially being caused by this injection right now. Peer-reviewed science making those points. And all you get is an 8.8% relative risk reduction? That's basically non-existent. Then it goes on to say, 59.5% among adolescents 12 to 15 of age 
of age two to four weeks after the dose two. Okay, my first thought is like, okay, where is the correlation there? So you're pointing at adults 24 or five weeks or more, and then I guess comparing that to a different age group at two to four weeks past dose two. They just, my point is none of these statements make any sense together. So why they're plucking them out, it's arbitrary. I imagine it looks a hell of a lot worse when you look at a different length at an angle or hold it in the light the right way, right? But whatever, 59.5% relative risk reduction is meaningless. Then it goes on to say 16.6% during month two after the second dose. (laughs) Okay, where are these numbers coming from? And then 9.6% efficacy relative during month three after the second dose. And 60.1% for children 5 to 11 years of age, 2 to 4 weeks after dose 2, and 289 after month 2 after dose 2. Okay, so they don't work then? Is that what I'm supposed to take from that? That you have like two moments where they're barely over 50%, but by and large, they're dramatically beneath the threshold? But yet you're telling us this means benefits outweigh the risks? How can you even see that? Down here, it says observed estimates of primary series mRNA vaccine effectiveness against hospitalizations due to the Omicron variant, which that's not even true. It's the same thing that was happening in Delta. They're just playing this game by acting like it's the latest problem that they're pretending that Omicron will stop transmission or stop their vaccine from stopping transmission. But as you saw, even in the opening clip I played, Volinsky herself says that since Delta, transmission no longer stops. So they're caught lying right there. But it says the effectiveness of against hospitalization due to Omicron in adults has been reported at 41% to 57% at six to nine months or longer after the second dose. So belief, 50%. These things don't make sense based on what they were pushing in the beginning, let alone acting like this is something safe with all of the actual side effects this is increasing or causing. And we're not side effects, they're effects. It's vaccine effects. They can just call them side effects. That acting like that because they didn't plan for them, it doesn't mean it's still not an effect of the vaccine. Primary series vaccine effectiveness was 40%. 40% against hospitalization for COVID-19. Why are we still doing it then? 79% against critical COVID and 20% against non-critical COVID. So explain to me what critical COVID is if, it is, if not being hospitalized for COVID. So they're telling you that it's, it's only 40% effective against hospitalization, but yet somehow 79% against critical COVID, whatever that means, even though the data in no way backs that up. In every location you look, the majority of people in critical care are people with injections. But it says uh, observed estimates of primary series, mRNA, two dose, I guess, vaccine effectiveness against emergency department, urgent care visits have been reported between 31 and 38 but you just said it was 79% against critical COVID. But now we're saying it's 31 to 38 in regard to stopping emergency department visits. Like this, this sounds like it's meant to be meaningless. Bottom line is none of what we just read amounts to safe and effective or effective at all. This is incredible. But this is in the very documents they're pointing at to argue this is safe and effective and recommended for six-month-old babies that don't need this because they're not in danger let alone anybody else, by the way, from actual COVID-19, whatever that means, probably just the flu. But here's something I want to read through. This is page 58 of the same document, known and potential benefits. Now, what you'll note in here, 
everywhere you look, they only mention community a few times. And in that, they're active, kind of trying to conflate the idea that it's still a thing, but it's not being used anywhere. Everywhere you actually discuss the what we're talking about, the efficacy, the numbers, they're talking about the Pfizer biotech COVID vaccine, which means the emergency authorized version, which is illegal, period. Now it says available data support support the effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccine three-dose series in preventing COVID-19 in an age group of six months to four years old. So again, that is why they get they will maintain the emergency authorization argument because saying that the available data supports the effectiveness is not the same thing as safe and effective. It's just not. What it's mean what it means is the data we have, which means we don't have all the data, which again is the main reason why I continue to show this document because they will it says right in the most recent release of their document from Pfizer. Oh, what I always forget the number. hundred here we go is that they don't know the long-term safety right there 106 ryan remember the number 106 long-term safety long-term safety of the vaccine is unknown unknown so the point is when it's unknown when they don't know what's going to happen that's why it's available data which means it could change tomorrow we could find out tomorrow that it kills everybody. And then, okay, well, now we have the full, now we know, so now we'll pull it back, which acts like we weren't responsible for our action. We were just basing on emergency authorization for your safety. That's the game they're going to play if it really comes down to it. And it supports the effectiveness. What does that mean? So a, a limited amount of data doesn't prove, but supports the idea that we believe it's effective. That's ultimately what they're saying. For six-month-old babies, for each of the age groups, six to 13, 23 months, and two to four, vaccine effectiveness was inferred inferred by immunobridging. This is what we were just talking about. You're, so we're pretending that this is something we're going to, I mean, they're arguing right now, this, this is going to be given to six-month-old babies, to four-year-old kids, and they're going to force this on people for schools. It's already happening. You're not allowed to go to school unless you got these injections. So you're going to make these kids take this based on an inference of, of effect, effectiveness. That means they don't know for sure, guys. They're, they're, insane, they're, they're guessing. Right. What we have in front of us seems to suggest that is what it means based on a comparison of neutralizing antibody responses. So, again, that's all they're doing. Well, it causes an, or causes a response. So take it. Is it the right response? Well, we know that's not true because this is based on an isolate that's not currently in circulation. If you believe it is at all, it never has been. That's a fact. Even from within their narrative, they say this is still the Wuhan isolate. Like, there were multiple variants down the line. The science from before COVID makes it very clear that that is not safe. You're now taking something that produces antibodies for something that's no longer in circulation. This is basic understanding. And yet they're still put, they're giving it to people and telling them they have to do it. In fact, arguing it's safe and effective because they're not, they're, they're testing this on an idea of what was currently happening or was previously happening. And then even then inferring by immunobridging that the comparison of the responses is enough. God, that makes my heart hurt. I mean, I don't even mean that in a joking way. That makes me sick. My God. Neutralizing antibody, it's the inference of, uh, inferred by immunobridging based on a comparison of neutralizing antibody responses with formal hypothesis testing to a com comparator group of participants 16 and 25 years of age from a clinical endpoint efficacy study in which observed vaccine efficacy was 91.2%. 
in participants 16 to 55 age. And that is relative risk reduction, which again, it makes that ridiculous. But even that is not actually true. When you break this down to real world data, it's shockingly inconsistent. Post-licensure and post-authorization observational studies of Comirnaty and Pfizer, respectively, because they're not the same thing, have demonstrated decreased effectiveness of a primary series against the current prominent variant. Like, let me ask you this. From an honest situation here, let's just say there was no, you know, what, it, no conspiracy going on here. Anybody honest can argue that if that statement is being said, which it is, that you would go, okay, then we would wait until we make the thing that's currently working. Why in the world you would pretend it makes sense while you're working on something that works because you're saying that right now, because Omicron, these don't work the right way, that you would then force the early thing while you're making the new thing on children. It just makes me sick. It really does. I mean, this is so criminal. And again, here's the point. It even says right here for you. It's demonstrated decreased effectiveness of the primary series against the current predominant Omicron variant compared with effectiveness against the ancestral strain and variants, Alpha, Delta. I mean, they're blatantly telling you what's happening. You're dealing with that. That's not in circulation. So you're taking an injection that makes antibodies to something that's not there anymore. That should make parents outraged, especially since they know that. Right? I mean, they're the ones telling you this. They know that's what's going on, and yet they do it anyway. How does that make sense to anybody? Now it goes on to say, consistent with this observation, description, descriptive immuno, immunogenicity analyses based on the exploratory 50% FFRNT in participants six months through four years of age indicate lower neutralizing titers against the Omicron variant than against ancestral strains. Right. So, so the one you're pushing right now and saying is safe and effective doesn't actually produce the thing you're pointing at from the beginning. Available preliminary descriptive uh, vaccine effectiveness data from the ongoing phase two, three study. Yeah, the ongoing study right now in the world, because you're all an experiment. Suggestive of greater effectiveness against this due to Omicron following two dose series, but the definitive conclusions are limited by a small number of cases that preclude a reliable estimate. Great. So let's rush out and give it to kids. Among infants and children six months through four years of age, rates of hospitalization and death due to COVID are higher among children. Like this, they're playing games with the data because it is wildly, the fact that they're claiming that six month to four-year-olds are suddenly having an explosion rate of hospitalization, they're, they're gaming the, the data. That's been proven undeniably. The risk is non-existent for kids. Everybody can admit that except the people trying to push these injections on you. Finding some little niche argument about specifically six to four-year-olds and why they're getting more hospitalization, despite the fact that all they're doing is continually giving people PCR tests in situations where it has nothing to do with COVID and saying it's a COVID hospitalization. It's been proven twice by the corporate media. But it goes on to talk about specifically MISC with greater effectiveness against more serious outcomes, like acting like this is something being caused by COVID, and it's just not. And the data, including a peer-reviewed study why the masks are clearly a catalyst to that problem, or why that's really what's happening. Down to the point here. Uncertainties related to benefits. Hear what they're saying here, okay? What you're going to hear from corporate media is listing these off as the absolute fact benefits. And if you question it, you're a conspiracy theorist hurting people's lives, risking people's lives. What they're telling you is the uncertainties around these claims. The uncertainties associated with benefits for this injection, 
when used in specifically six months to four-year-olds include uncertainty around the duration of the effectiveness. But it's safe and effective, though. We know that, right? Well, you don't know. If you don't know how effective it is, then you don't know if it's effective. That's a pretty easy statement to make, right? <clears throat> My God. Need for a booster dose. So that means, as, as you can expect, that they're going to be told they need a booster dose in three months or a month or whenever they say it. If we don't know for sure means your doses are coming. They already know based on the data, and we've proven they know that because they got caught for knowing that before this all started. Pfizer knew in their own data that this is how this was going to go. And they saw dollar signs, I would argue. And of course, the actual social engineers driving all this saw something a little more nefarious, in my opinion. This is the way it's going. They knew this from the beginning. They told you, just take one, just take two, it'll be over. And then, oh, no, just three, just three. Oh, just four. Now it's five, right? It's going to keep going, guys. They knew this from the beginning. Now it says, I'm just, I'm caught, the booster dose could be considered for authorization with submission. My God, these people are criminals. It's uncertain of the effectiveness in certain populations at high risk, including immunocompromised. Oh, so you mean the very group that you keep forcing this on? That you keep saying, get it first because you're immunocompromised, yet you don't know if it's effective because they're immunocompromised? Anyone explain that to me? I've shown you this a hundred times as well. It says it right here, using immunocompromised patients. And it says the vaccine is not known, the safety of the, of the vaccine is not known in people that are immunocompromised. So you're forcing it and put pressuring it on people that you don't know it's safe for. Simple as that. Here's another one we haven't pointed out often. Patients with autoimmune or inflammatory disorders. <laughs> Literally, those are causing those things. You're having people take an injection that causes autoimmune issues, causes MISC, causes systemic inflammation or a mass that does similar things. Right? You, it's, it's just incredible. And then they're getting a booster and more, and then it causes more problems. And because they don't know if it's safe. Makes me, ah, man, benefits in individuals previously infected. You mean everybody, according to the narrative, right? Their narrative is that most everyone's gotten this and had a price. That's what, that's what Rand Paul was just calling out with Fauci, right? That most of these kids, according to their data, 75% have already had COVID. So they're saying that we don't know if this has benefits in people that have already been infected. So why, do, why is it happening then? Does anybody recognize how crazy this all is? That we are listing off the things that are counter to what the corporate media, both Fox and CNN, are spinning to the people that don't know this is here. If most of those kids have already gotten this, that means they don't know if it's safe for any of them, but they're going to push it anyway because it's safe and effective and benefits outweigh the risks, whatever their breathless statement is today. They're uncertain about the effectiveness in preventing post-acute COVID-19 issues. The fall. So they're unsure. And this goes right back to the point we first made, or rather specifically the Jordan made, or no, the, uh, the point that, oh, it's right here. Excuse me. <laughs> a lot of these today that Igor made. And that's, that's what he's referencing in this data, that it causes reinfection. At the very least, they're even admitting that they don't know if it's effective in stopping that reinfection. That's what it says right there. Uncertainty in the effectiveness in preventing you to get COVID-19 again. That's what sequelae means, you know, follow-up happening afterward. So that proves the point right there. Available data are not conclusive on the effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines currently and the use against long-term COVID-19 among individuals who are infected despite vaccination. Seriously? That's exactly what we've been saying the entire time and what the UK data backed up. And we got censored for it. Isn't it amazing that their data shows what they're saying isn't true? Future vaccine effectiveness 
they are it's uncertain the future vaccine effectiveness as influenced by the characteristics of the pandemic, including new variants. So what does that mean? We're uncertain if this is going to have an effect against new variants, meaning right now, right? You're using something based on an ancestral strain and one of the variants is Omicron. So they're uncertain about the future of its effectiveness, but we're forcing on our kids anyway. They're uncertain about the vaccine effectiveness against asymptomatic infection, which is not even really what's happening. Even Fauci admitted that before we got here. How do respiratory viruses spread? Oh, that's right. Through symptoms. It's just respiratory virus. That's what they're telling you. So if you don't have symptoms, therefore you're not spreading it. And that's what the 10 million person study found. 10 million people that found, three, I think it was 300 people that were asymptomatic, they said, none of which were transmissible. Again, why? Because they didn't have symptoms. Even Fauci said this, but yet here we are doubling down on the idea that that's a problem. How about known potential risks? In a study, participant six months to four years old of age, there were numerically higher rates of solicited local and systemic uh, adverse reactions. Okay. There were numerically higher rates of adverse reactions in kids that took the Pfizer injection than in placebo. Excuse me? You just admitted that they were hurt by this. There was more adverse reactions. in. So you're telling us that there's an, an obvious increased risk of problems, of dangers, of all the risks you're having based on if you take this and don't. Well, obviously we know that, but they're quietly saying it right there. Overall, the rates of these adverse reactions reported among participants six months to four years old that are no risk of COVID are lower than those reported among older age groups and likely reflect the lower vaccine mRNA content evaluated participants six to age. Okay. And considering unsolicited adverse uh, events reported among participants six to four, uh, six months to four years old, the available safety data from the local total databases of over 3,000 vaccine recipients do not suggest any safety concerns. How can you possibly say that with all the things we're seeing and what you, you're literally admitting in this report that you don't even have all the information? Let's see. I think there's one last point. Oh, and then it just goes on to list the problems. Anaphylaxis, myocarditis, pericarditis. We're talking about six-month-year-old babies. And we're, and we're get, just, I, I can't get past it. Uncertainties related to risks. The uncertainties associated with the risks when used are the following. An uncertain risk of myocarditis and pericarditis for your toddler. An uncertain risk of the safety in certain subpopulations. But you're giving it to them broadly. You know, with with no stipulation, everybody's taking it. You're you're arguing it is safe and effective. That means for everybody. But that's clearly not the truth. Adverse reactions that are uncommon that are required for follow up to be detected. So you're being a test subject by letting them know what else happens to you. My God, this is the report they're putting out. But moving on to the reproductive discussion. And thank you, Miss Missied, for pointing this out. December 2021, of course, and this is, I love that they did this. Here's Reuters. Fact check. No evidence that COVID-19 vaccines affect male fertility. No evidence whatsoever, which was fake then. It was false, fake news right when they said it first, because I proved to you in their own study, like we're doing right now, that the study itself found, and the, the one that I always point out, but there's plenty of them, almost a 10% reduction in fertility in female rats. But they argued because it didn't go below 25% that they weren't required to report it. That says it right in the report. And then they go on the news and they say, no, there's no problem with your fake news. Well, here's another study confirming again what we keep telling you. And here's the actual study. Thank you for pointing this out. 
COVID-19 vaccination, specifically the BNT162B2, the Pfizer injection, temporarily impairs semen concentration and total motile count among semen donors. Now, look, you can argue that not a big deal because it comes back. But how do we know that? Because we don't have the long-term data. This could go on and fluctuate back and forth. It could drop off the next day. It could drop off a year from now. And we're seeing generational long-term issues from all sorts of things that happened in vaccine administration in places like India. We're seeing issues from, let's just say, things that we saw in wartime, like in Iraq. We're seeing things that go generationally. We're dealing with genetic manipulation. There's no telling what this is going to cause. The bottom line is, no matter how small, this is something they said was fake news. Absolutely impossible. Well, guess what? A retrospective longitudinal multi-center comparison reveals temporary sperm concentration reduction three months after the injection. What a weird correlation, isn't it? Uh, It says semen volume and mortality remain stable. The article has been accepted for publication and undergone full peer review. Interesting addition, though, it says, but has not been through copy editing, typesetting. So that's when the editors step in and go, fake news. We're going to delete this because we're the ones that now peer review. Well, that's not how that's supposed to go, but we see that happening. I think there's one thing. Oh, it just says a so a 15% reduction in sperm concentration. 15% leading to a total multile count of 21, 22.1% reduction. That's a lot. Systemic immune response after the injection is a reasonable cause for transient semen concentration and decline. But no, fake news though, right? Because we're not allowed to talk about it. As I said, another conspiracy theory becomes conspiracy fact. The truth is the data already showed us this reality long ago, but this will hopefully awaken any out there with discernment and critical thinking. And Robert points out something that's relevant to this, and I'm glad he did. This is from 2021, but it's really important. Pfizer pulled out of the vaccine deal with India the minute India wanted to get the vaccine tested by its own experts. Exactly what happened. Here's Reuters. Pfizer drops India vaccine application after regulator seeks local trial. I'm trying to think of an analogy for that, right? So it's, it's, this screams red flag, right? Why would they have issue with that? And you're turning down one of the largest countries in the world, millions and millions of people, huge amount of profit. If it's safe and effective, what's the problem? Pfizer Inc. said, this is uh, February 4th, 2021, it had withdrawn its application for its emergency use of authorization of its COVID injection in India after failing to meet the drugs regulator, drug regulator's demand for a local safety and immunogenicity study. Now, here's what's happening, is that you can clearly see from February 4th, 2021 to now that they were right. That Had they done their own study, they would have found that all the things we're pointing out right now pretty interesting to see how obvious that is. And yet still, it's fake news somehow. Unlike other companies conducting small studies in India for foreign developed vaccines, Pfizer had sought an exception, citing approvals it had in Germany and the United States. Right, going, well, just just take that. Just take that and let us move in with these injections. But the Indian health officials, seemingly caring about their population, said they generally ask for so-called bridging trials to determine if a vaccine is safe and generates an immune response in its citizens. Of course, so-called is being added by Reuters. I don't even know why that's a so-called thing. That's, that's what they call them, <laughs> bridging trials, and they're obviously relevant. So even Reuters playing these ridiculous games. But the point is, what, anybody knows that makes sense. Are we not pretending like there's, are we, are we pretending there's not genetic differences? That these injections that are very clearly genetically driven are 
wouldn't change based on different populations? Well, yes, that's why we're seeing different problems, different parts of the world. One of the many reasons, because this is genetic therapy. That's what it is. Gene therapy. That's very clear. And even other vaccine companies have admitted that like 2022 saying, I never thought people would be okay with gene therapy, but here we are. Oops. Even their own documentation before we got here said the same thing. And they just, again, one of the many facts being censored as fake news. But so they ask for their own studies. Pfizer runs in the other direction. The drug regulator said on its website that its experts did not recommend the vaccine because of side effects reported abroad that were still being investigated. <laughs> well, good on them. And it also said Pfizer had not proposed any plan to generate safety and immunogenicity data in India. I mean, that's incredible to me. Quote, based on the deliberations at the meeting and our understanding of additional information that the regulator may need, the company's decided it's going to withdraw its application at this time. Yeah, very obvious. You want your own safety test? Well, we're going to not do that. <laughs> run back to the United States, run back behind Biden's skirts or Trump's skirts or whoever was in power at the time, right? Biden, in this case, the skirts of the U.S. government, can, you know, protecting the idea of what's happening. I know this is, as he points out, I don't blame them. Here is one of the people pushing back at the time he was anyway. He says, I want to put an end to all the rumors. I want to show people that there is no danger in getting vaccinated. On the contrary, it'll protect us all. India's public health ambassador says on national TV. He passed away less than 24 hours later. Real story. Here's another one. We showed you this headline, actually. 75% of adverse deaths in India within three days of the jab, shown according to a study. India reviewing 700 severe events reported after vaccination. Right, all this is happening. Now, sadly, they used one that was equally dangerous. Uh, I would argue the lack of mRNA gene therapy injection was probably a blessing in disguise, or guarantee it was, but they're still taking other injections that are causing all sorts of spike protein problems. So it's the same point. Either way, think about how clear that is and what we're now seeing. They're getting caught for all this, and they're trying to rush into the new one. Well, here's the point of how they knew that there were problems. In 2020, before this ever really started, this is the National Vaccine Advisory Committee. February 13th, 2020. Here's what it says. And weird involves Ralph Barrick from North Carolina University. You know, the one of the dis- groups that is involved with the whole Wuhan discussion and the, the material coming from North Carolina that went to Wuhan for the basis of that research. That You know, the whole argument there. Obviously, there's overlap, and that's the thing we need to see. It's not a partisan discussion. Bad guy China, bad guy Russia. It's bad guy governments working together to subjugate you. This is important what it says here. Thank you for pointing this out to me. Vaccine development faces complications. For example, animal models generally do not provide a good representation of the effectiveness of the vaccines in aging humans. Use of adjuvants can drive a TH2 response that can be problematic. There is some evidence of antibody-dependent enhancement, which complicates the utility of SARS-CoV vaccines. Look at that. Yeah, we knew that too. Fauci said it too, right up until it started happening, and then they all called it fake news. Here's another point. Potential pitfalls of COVID-19 vaccine development. Alan Embry, PhD, Division of Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, NIH, he says, it is evaluating cross-reactivity with existing SARS and MERS vaccine candidates. Right, that's a good thing to think about, right? Why does not make sense? Here we are forcing, you know, in some cases, pressuring smallpox vaccines on people that claim to have monkeypox because there's an overlap, they say, right? Even though their own data says not safe and effective, and we don't know for sure, but they're doing it anyway, exactly like with COVID. It's ridiculous. 
But ask yourself this. If, according to Michael Yeadon, who pre- worked for Pfizer for 30 years and plenty of other people in the field saying it's almost, it's a, it's the same, the, the difference between these things is minuscule in the variance and so on. And the point that what we're saying is if we're talking about like the spike protein overlap, why wouldn't SARS and MERS vaccines have an effect? Well, I argue because they didn't want to use those because they were pushing desperately into this new platform. But regardless, something to think about. They were at the time evaluating cross-reactivity with those two injections, and it's weird that we don't have that conversation anywhere. But it says NIAID, Fauci's group, also specifically solicited applications to develop vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics for COVID-19. So that's what drove the conversation. Their aggressive push, not just Fauci, but everybody for this mRNA platform. And I'll, I'll give you a point on why I think that is. NIAID's Vaccine Research Center partnered with Moderna, as you know, to create a vaccine candidate specific to COVID-19. And we've gone over this many times. This was made and they start, they were producing an injection that was already being tested on people within a month of getting genetic code from a computer screen that the CDC of China later admitted at the time they hadn't even isolated. That's a fact. Now, you could argue they later did isolate it. You can debate that. I disagree. But how do you argue if they never looked back as they, their own people said, they got the code, they started making it, they started testing it, and that Moderna injection is still based on that genetic code. Either the isolation never even mattered if they didn't look back to it, or it wasn't there. In any case, that's the future of mRNA platforms. You plug in a new genetic code, assume it's correct, move forward. No safety trials. It says the efforts are underway to develop a universal COV vaccine. They were saying that back in 2020, guys. Because that's been what they, they've been trying to do that before COVID-19 started. So ask yourself, if they were pushing that aggressively and Fauci's NIAID and the Vaccine Research Center were all focused on the universal vaccine, do you not think that influenced their choices to go forward? Instead of, you know, making something that might have actually been effective for people right out of the gate, they pushed forward to make their mRNA platform, and that's clearly where they're driving still? They say it's making strides toward optimizing antigen design for potency and breadth, developing self-assembling nanoparticles and vaccine-like particles to increase immunogenicity and creating gene-based delivery systems for rapid response. All that's supposed to be fake news right now, right? Self-assembling nanoparticles, which don't have to mean things like graphene, but they can, and gene-based delivery systems, which is all fake news. Here they are in 2020 between the HHS and literally the, uh, I'm blanking on the group's name again, what was it, the National Vaccine Advisory Committee waxing intellectual about their self-assembling nanoparticles and their virus-like particles, which are artificial, by the way. Those are, those are genetically engineered. And using those things with a gene-based delivery system. <laughs> gene therapy. I mean, just the point, we all know this stuff, guys. The point is, this is openly discussed in 2020, and it's exactly where we are, and it's all fake news, according to them. Finally, according to Gigi Quick Granville, PhD, Center for Health Security, Johns Hopkins, synthetic biology and tools drive biomedical advances and transcend the biomedical field. So synthetic biology is the future of medicine, they keep telling you. Right, that's what we're dealing with right now. The gene, the, the mRNA, the modified mRNA, the gene therapy injections, the mRNA platforms, it's all tied in with what they're doing. They're saying the synthetic biology and the tools drive biomedical advances and transcend biomedical field. They carry potential risks, but also many positive uses. So here we are, 2020, highlighting the mRNA platform, highlighting the gene therapy mRNA injections as the future, but also saying, but they carry lots of risks. Do they care? Clearly not. 
picked that one, drove it into the ground, and the risks are on full display. Synthetic biology offers an opportunity to combat long-lasting problems in vaccine development. There's my point. Okay, so if at this time they were highlighting the problem, not for you, but for the vaccine industry, we have long-standing problems with vaccine development, and the secret, the solution, is the mRNA platform. So let's drive that in at all costs. It's exactly what the WHO was telling you they would do before we got here. Pandemics of fear driving in for their industry. It says it can improve production of vaccine antigens, reduce costs, improve the immune response in the host, and speed of development. Right. It could do all those things, maybe, but it comes with potential risks. That's the part they're not telling you about. One example of synthetic biology is the development of virus-like particles, which mimic the natural introduction of disease without the danger of replication. Vaccine-like particle, vac- uh, vaccine-like particle vaccine platforms are easy to modify. That's where we are, guys. That's what's happening. Therapeutic interfering, interfering particles take over the body's re- virus replication machinery. Like the idea that you want anything to be injected in your body, genetically altering that overtakes your body's natural processes is not what anybody should be asking for. That's not what anybody wanted. That's what they wanted and what they're striving for and what they think is the future. It's not safe and we're seeing it play out right in front of us. Resulting in a production of less harmful cells, they thought, or maybe didn't care, or maybe they argued dishonestly. Gene editing technology, which is what this is, and that's the point, guys. CRISPR has been used, for example, to create a feedback loop that cuts the HIV virus genome, essentially acting as a vaccine that inactivates the viral genome that arise. The point is, Moderna is developing some one such thing. <laughs> exactly. But they won't say it to you now. Despite the, pro- the promise these techniques offer, few companies are applying them in 2020. But remember, as they just point, as Dr. Yeden just pointed out, isn't it strange that on a dime, they all shifted into the spike protein-focused direction? Now, they're not all RNA-based platforms, but it's interesting that they all chose the same direction, which, as he points out, In his experience, that never would have happened based on what we can see before they got there. She asked for input on how to encourage companies to take the advantage of the novel science. So at the end of the discussion, the committee, right, the National Vaccine Advisory Committee is supposed to be advising on what the safe direction is. They're the ones going, how do we get people to do this? Give us input on how to encourage companies to take this potentially risky path that's right for vaccine companies, but may not be right for the individual. Gee, I wonder what happened. What do you think? Final interesting additional point before we finish on, oh no, excuse me. I have a couple more things to do. But here's an interesting point to finish off sort of the vaccine point we're making here. Somebody just shared this with me today. Environmental Protection Authority from New Zealand. As you can see, it's definitely the EPA government New Zealand website. In, in February 11th, 2021, they, they filed an application to determine whether or not, specifically, the COVID-19 community injection was a new organism. Now, before I even point out what they found, the fact that they're even asking, what, asking that under the New Organisms Act of 1996, what does that show you? They're literally concerned, at least at a New Zealand level, at some level, that the community injection, well, specifically in this case, it's not community, obviously. It's the, the, the Pfizer-BioNTech. It's, you know, we're talking about the mRNA-Pfizer injection. Whether or not that it constitutes its own organism. 
We're talking about the whole thing, the spike protein, the shedding, the fact that that shedding spike protein then is something that gets people sick and then passes, causes symptoms and passes on again. What is that? And we've already proven that can happen. Now, I don't know for sure that's literally everything that's happening, but it certainly seems to point in the direction of some sort of self-spreading vaccine idea, maybe accidental or not, malfeasance, clumsy, I don't know. But here's what they found. To determine under Section 26 of the Hazardous Substances and New Organisms Act, oh, this is what the question, if the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, specifically BNT162B2, is a new organism, and it simply finds they determined that the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine is not a new organism. Okay, fine. Now, I guarantee this is going to be influenced by politics, something this alarming. But regardless, doesn't that show you something that they too were going, what is this? Is this its own thing? I just find it to be quite incredible. There's so much happening. And I believe people are pretending or misinterpreting the corporate narrative as the majority opinion. It's not. I mean, it's never in my life been such an obvious reality, whether we're talking about COVID or Ukraine or any other topic we'll get to. One last point before we finish off with Ukraine is PFAS chemicals or forever chemicals, which is a a really horrifying topic to think about. Things that are, they're mass producing in all sorts of stuff they know never goes away and is dangerous, but they still do it. Right. Because we care, right? (laughs) We care about making sure these injections are safe for you while we're pumping out, you know, while your military is destroying things all around the world and burning all sorts of toxic chemicals in other people's countries and mass producing things that are super dangerous for you and producing GMOs that are doing all sorts of terrible things. We certainly care about your health and safety though, right? Who actually buys this stuff? The EPA warns against toxic forever chemicals in drinking water that are in your masks. That's my point. But here's what's interesting. You won't find the word mask listed once in the Smithsonian Magazine conversation. That's that's the, the one of those silences deafening kind of points, because everywhere you look, you're going to find examples of PFAS in masks. It's a huge problem. So why then did the Smithsonian Magazine or the EPA not mention it? Pretty telling, isn't it? The reality, though, is that we've been calling out just the simple pollution aspect of the masks. And you remember, since 2020, people were sounding the alarm. And here's the point. The one sounding the alarm in 2020 about the catastrophic problems this would cause, too late now. I'm, I'm not trying to be doomed. That It's literally too late. They said, my God, with the level these are being spread in 2020, if we don't do something now, this is going to be catastrophic. Way too late. It's 2022, guys. There is masks literally clogging everything right now, floating through the oceans. I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. We were showing this in 2021 in the beginning. People... With in, in fishing groups showing masks in their net, I mean, it's everywhere. And it's not just the PFAS, but it's, it's also the microplastics and all sorts of other things. This is catastrophic. What they've done to us and the planet, I, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not, the, the point is every step of the way we can make choices that can benefit us and the planet. We can take corrective action and make it a better world. But we have to be real about what they've done, what the lockdowns did, what the, what the, constant use of these things have done what their what their garbage pollution and actions around the world have done up until now i mean it's pretty much i mean think about things like glyphosate it is everywhere it's in the clothes you're wearing it's in the air you're breathing it's on your skin right now it's i mean it's, i'm not making this up we, we've talked about this i guess since i'm referencing and i should bring it up we're not running too long today 
not even past two hours yet. <laughs> it's not long for us. But the point is, you can see a lot of examples. Did I spell that right? I think so. The, the Oh, no, I didn't. I, I mixed it up. There we go. Glyphosate, the Y. There we go. No, that's not even right. What I do? There we go. Sorry, guys. The point is that there's been many examples. In one case, it was the European Parliament. In one case, it was organic wines in Napa Valley. And this was like five years ago, more than that. And they tested. And guess what? On a random impromptu test, every single one of them had glyphosate in their urine. They tested every single organic wine, organic wine in Napa Valley. Every single one of them had glyphosate, which, by the way, by definition, means they're no longer organic. Oh, by the way, that's actually, I, I can't believe I forgot about this. You guys should most definitely check out this interview. I want to get Stephanie Seneff back on to have another interview. But her, her discussion was about glyphosate specifically and how that primes your body for what we're dealing with today. Think about that connection. It's literally everywhere, and it's almost like a synergistic problem. It creates the situation for what the spike protein and everything else destroys your body. But I'll just include this link here. You can check these out. Oh, I guess not. Hold on. I want to give you the specifics. I thought that was more of the ones that would pop up early. There's some really important ones to see here. Here's one. Jury found Monsanto's Roundup caused a man's cancer. That's important. But let's see. I guess they're pretty far back. I used to write about this a lot, in fact, the glyphosate specifically. It's really important. Son of a gun. Now, I, I mean, my point here, guys, to not waste any more time, is that this is everywhere. Here we go. Glyphosate contaminates in, in processed brand name foods. Monsanto's glyphosate linked to major ocean and coral reef die-offs. All this stuff has been discussed. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep that link and do one more for here. Remember the title. Going back to this while it's loading. The idea is that these things are all over the place. My point was about how it's we're, we've gone too far to really go back in a lot of ways. That the glyphosate is endemic. It's literally everywhere. It's in the ground. It's in the air. It's in your clothes. When I say clothes, there's a reason for that. Cotton is a huge problematic source for that. It's in everything. And that's being used to make your clothes and everything. It's, it's I mean, so what my point is, what's that doing to us? Right? Do we even care? Do they know? The point is this stuff builds up in your bloodstream and in your body. And if it's literally everywhere, that means this is an impact compounding problem going forward. We're never truly going to know until we look back in 20 years and go, my God, look at what this did. And they're going to act like, oh, we didn't know. We, we thought we had safe limits. And then they didn't. They don't care about that. God, it's taking so long to load. I got to get out of this server. Anyway, let's go through this while it's loading. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. So back to PFAS. The EPA unveiled this week new health warnings for toxic chemicals commonly found in drinking water across the country. The latest research suggests that the substance, the substances, a group of chemicals called PFAS, are even more dangerous to human health than previously thought. Yeah, who told you that? You mean all the activists that you've been shouting down and censoring up until now? Yes. I mean, that's how stupid this is. Now the EPA is going, now we finally see... You've been censoring people for calling this out in San Francisco and everywhere else. I mean, we even covered this specifically before. People being called conspiracy theorists for talking about the risks and what these products are doing and what the government's allowing. Here, this is the one I was trying to show you. Took that long to load, right? Totally natural. The piss test heard around the world. 
150 European Parliament members tested their urine for glyphosate. Every single one of them had glyphosate in their urine. I mean, think about how incredibly alarming that is. Or there was another craft, there was a craft beer in, in Germany. Uh, uh, they take their beer very seriously in this location, and they found out to their incredible, ups, to their frustration that they had glyphosate in their beer. That's supposed to be very specific to the ingredients, and it, and it ruined their entire business. This is what's happening. The latest research suggests this is dangerous. Thank you, EPA, for telling us what we already know. The, FA, the, the PFAS stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. For decades, manufacturers have used these synthetic chemicals to make food wrappers, sunscreen, nonstick cookware, makeup, smartphones, flame retardant equipment, fire fighting foam, and hundreds of other products designed to withstand heat, water, grease, and stains. Right? So we know these are dangerous. They're only just now admitting it, but they're everywhere. So there's already been a problem. That's important to understand. But the very same properties that make PFAS so durable and useful also cause the chemicals to build up in the body and the environment. That's why I wanted to show you this article. First of all, realize what that says that you won't hear in the other articles when they mention the masks. Perfect omission. That it builds up in your body. So it doesn't matter how small they want to argue it is in the mask. It builds up in your body. So does glyphosate. That's a very big problem for something that's pretty much ubiquitous. They're so persistent that they've been nicknamed forever chemicals. That's not alarming or anything, but it builds up in the environment too, which the focal point of this article is more so the environment. Chemical manufacturers have mostly stopped producing these different two types, the PFOS and PFOA, as well as the PFAS is the general category over the last decade. Though, as the EPA notes, a limited number of ongoing uses still exist. Limited masks are one of the least limited things on the planet right now. Research has linked PFAS with a, an array of serious health issues, ranging from cancer, low birth weights, weakened immune systems. Oh, look at that. One more way that the thing on your mask is actually increasing your risk of infection. I mean, that's like five different things in one thing that's potentially leading to an increased risk of illness. I'm telling you this was not by accident. That's my opinion. Scientists estimate more than 200 million Americans may be drinking water that's contaminated with PFAS right now. I believe my actual local town is one of those places. Responses to EPA's announcements were mixed. Some advocates say the agency didn't go far enough and should re regulate PFAS as a whole. Yeah, I mean, my God. The problem is that they, what they, when they regulate, that usually translates to you. The major companies always have their corporate loopholes allowed by people like Trump or Biden. And they continue to allow these problems under a guise that are like, if we do this, it's going to put an undue burden on the industry. Like, okay, then let's keep killing people then. Okay, cool. More than, and again, I'm not arguing that we shouldn't, that there's not a conversation to be had about that, whether you will hurt industry. But the problem is you get this partisan argument where it's either business matters or the environment matters. But how about they both actually matter and we should come to an, an argument or an actual decision that doesn't hurt one or the other constantly, right? Or usually what happens is they both get left the way they are because nobody can come to an agreement and that's usually what they wanted to begin with. While others complained that new advisories were premature that would only cause confusion. Yeah, we shouldn't care that they're cancer causing and all sorts of problems for reproductivity and everything else. In the meantime, individuals who are concerned about PFAS should take steps to limit their own exposure. Yeah, good call, such as installing a water filter or finding other water sources per, for ingestion. 
you know, or, you know, not wearing a mask that goes over your face for eight hours a day that causes that to be inhaled. But I guess they just forgot that one, right? This is from two, this is from four days ago. That was all the glyphosate stuff. Here is a recent study from March 30th, 2022. PFAS in face masks, potential source of human exposure to PFAS with implications for disposal to landfills. It's amazing that they don't know that's there, right? It's almost like they didn't do their due diligence as a Smithsonian, right? Nine face masks over a range of prices were analyzed for a total total fluorine and PFAS. Inhalation was estimated to be dominant exposure rate 40 to 40 50%, followed by incidental ingestion and dermal. Okay, so 50% is your inhalation, followed by 15 to 40% ingestion, and then skin exposure, 11 to 20%. That is not nothing, guys. Exposure and risk estimates were higher for children than adults. You hear that? Children. So the children who are wearing the masks, just like in every other situation or point we make, are actually at more risk because of the mask they're wearing. And high physical activity substantially increases the problem. Great. So when you have those kids that are running the mile, like that kid in China that ran a mile with a mask on and dropped over dead, maybe that's why. Maybe it contributed. Maybe not. But the bottom line is, this is not debatable. You have masks that in many cases, not all of them, but many of them, most of the ones being worn by average people, I'll make that point next, are ones that have some level of PFAS that does build up in your body and it's forever chemicals. So when you're wearing this mask all day, every day, every day at school, every day at work, that's a guarantee it's going to build up in your body. Let's make sure you understand that. Here, I mean, that alone is a reason they shouldn't be forced on anybody. But none of this matters. Facts don't matter in the COVID clown world we exist in. It says, these prime preliminary findings indicate that wearing masks treated with high levels of PFAS for extended periods of time can be a notable source of exposure and have the potential to pose a health risk. More peer-reviewed science that's not debunked and it's not retracted, but apparently they don't care. How exactly do you trust the science, but don't read the science? That's a good question. It says, despite modeled annual disposal of 29 to 91 billion masks and an assuming 100% leaching of individual PFAS into landfill uh, leachate, which I believe that stands for like the off like the water, yeah, the water that percolated through a solid and leached out from like the, you know, the gross water from the landfills. So it says 100% leaching of the landfills. Mask disposal would contribute only an additional 6%. That's important to hear. Of annual PFAS mass loads and less than 11 grams discharged to U.S. wastewater. Now, 6% is not nothing. Now, I, this is their assessment based on what they think this translates to. And, and I, I would take it at face value for just for the context of this in discussion. But we should ask whether 6% is the full risk. Now, my point is not necessarily about the, the ground leaching, which is what they're talking about. 6% of the annual mass load in wastewater. What I'm talking about is the, in, the breathing in, which is what they're talking about right here. The dominant exposure route. So you're breathing in this problem, this chemical that leads to all sorts of cancer problems, reproductivity, uh, uh, baby, the weights of, I mean, all the things we listed off. Where was it? It was right to... Some of the ones we listed off. There's more than that, by the way. Uh, weakened immune systems. That's the big one, right? So you're literally wearing something that's supposedly protecting you from the very thing that this adds to. It decreases your immune system. 
So you're actually increasing your risk of the very thing you think you're protecting yourself from because you're wearing the mask. Just incredible. Here's another one. Researchers test drinking water and face masks. It's, it's just it's kind of embarrassing that of all of them, the Smithsonian was the one that chose to omit the most obvious potential. It, you know, that's obviously what's being used most right now in the world. Face masks are everywhere. So even if it is only 6% based on what they're like, the increased use is only going to make that worse. And the more that they sit there and stew and simmer in the water and continue, I mean, that's what they were just pointing out. June 15th, 2022. This this one's got a lot more information. Adding face masks to a growing list of products tested for the toxic class of chemicals. They're just including that. Known as forever chemicals. PFAS do not naturally biodegrade. Forever. Studies have shown that chemicals persist in the environment. So here's another point. So even if you want to argue right now it's only 6%, that's a guaranteed number that's going to increase. Because they're going to sit. They're only going to use more. And the more they use, the more it's going to add. And if if it's forever... It's just going to build, right? I mean, that's a no-brainer, both in the environment and in your body. Studies have shown the chemicals persist in the environment, contaminating groundwater systems, and can accumulate in the bloodstream. That's the best, most important part. So if you're wearing a mask all day, it's a fact that you are inhaling PFAS if it's in the mask you're wearing. And not all of them, but most of them have it. Then that means that it is a fact that it will build up in your bloodstream over time and not go away. That's a guaranteed health risk, guys. I don't even know how to make that any more clear. PFAS has been linked to reproductive issues, low birth weight, thyroid problems, weakened immune systems, and an increased risk of kidney, prostate, and testicular cancers. My God. Now it says uh, in most cases, they don't pose a risk is what they're arguing. The same point they're making from over there. This is based on the argument though that you're not wearing a mask for eight hours a day for the rest of your life. It says five out of the nine masks contain some PFAS, okay? So 60% of them. But most levels were, were, were low enough that the results did not cause concern, right? But this, again, is based on the idea that when you wear a mask that one time, you're going to be okay. The highest amounts were detected in the multi-layered masks. Look at that. The chemicals are also known to shed off gear, materials, and surfaces and can be inhaled, ingested, or absorbed into the skin. So it's not just the mask you're wearing, right? It's the fact that they're, I mean, the water that you're using that gets on your skin, that it puts it because the masks are in the ground, in the, the ocean, in the groundwater. But it says PFAS are persistent, toxic chemicals. So we don't want to find them in face masks, says the expert. Too late. Manufacturers of those high-end cloth masks that have higher amounts of PFAS, there it is, should take action and switch to PFAS-free materials. That's, of course, that's until you find out those ones have some other thing you never heard of that's killing you too. That seems to be the common thread today. But the bottom line is cloth masks, which most everybody is still wearing, are the ones that have the highest amount of PFAS. Now, do you think that's by accident? It could be. But why don't we take a quick dance back into, you know, COVID land, the previous things they've done. Here's the Wayback Machine. Remember this? About cloth coverings. This is from the this is from the CDC. Right. So now we know, don't we just know that cloth masks never worked? Because got Gottlieb and Wen both said it on Fox and CNN respectively. The same day, by the way, totally not coordinated, came out and said with no evidence to back it up that they don't work because they don't work. But that's always been the case. And neither do N95s in reduced in in regard to reducing transmission. 
That's the fact. And even they admit that on their own websites. But the point is, just because they arbitrarily camped and said, those don't work now. All the, the lemmings jumped along and said, oh, now I'll use 95 because science. They never worked and neither do those. But the point you understand is that in the beginning, the CDC not just recommended, but really pushed the idea of specifically cloth masks. Now, is that a huge blunder? A big mistake they made and they're now correcting that? Well, no one's made that clear. No one's acknowledging they made the wrong choice. They're acting like it was some sort of court-calculated mis- some deception to keep the anti-fives. How about the fact that they knew this was dangerous for 11 different reasons, whether it's the fact that the only random controlled trial which the BMJ conducted, which the NIH posted, which they knew about in 2015, random controlled trial found again, significantly higher risk in the cloth mask arm. In fact, they found that 97% of the time, droplet-sized particles went right through the cloth mask. 97%. Even medical masks were 44%. Again, showing you they don't actually work in regard to transmission. But it says down here that moisture retention and reuse of cloth masks and pore filtration may result in an increased risk of infection. Therefore, they should not be recommended. So did they not know that? Of course they did. But you add that to the PFAS, which increase, which which literally lowers your immune system. That's an obviously relevant point to giving them something to protect them from a respiratory virus. And, and the thing you give them reduces their immune system. And the injection you give them reduces your immune system. And every other action you're giving them actually reduces their, I mean, everything connected. So who does this? They push the cloth mask that actually hurts you. COVID-19 spreads mainly from person to person through respiratory droplets. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> that didn't age well. That's why they changed it. This is on the way back machine. That's fake news. Literally not true. And they, they, they tried to dance back and forth. Well, now it's this, now it's that. The reason they went with droplets is because they argued the mask would work in that regard. But again, that's why I keep showing you this that says 97% of the time, even with, and it is talking about droplets. You can read the study for yourself. But that's not true. Then over here, it says a cloth face covering may not protect the wearer, but it may keep the wearer from spreading the virus to others. May and may. That's a lot of uncertainty, but they sure have forced it on everybody. That's the whole now obviously debunked argument that it protects your grandma, but not you. It, these, all of this was fake. They just kept jumping from narrative to narrative. Wear cloth face coverings. So at a time when they knew the only random controlled trial showed that they didn't work, they forced, they pushed it on everybody. And maybe they didn't know about the PFS, PFAS, or maybe they did. Maybe they knew about the idea of bacterial pneumonia and how that looks like COVID. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Either way, all of it converges to create a perfect storm of increasing your risk of illness. The CDC recommends wearing cloth face coverings. Look at that. Cloth face coverings can be made from household items. Oh, great. You mean like a piece of piece of uh, cheesecloth for those that know kitchen stuff? <laughs> or how about a, you know, a, a flimsy piece of silk? Sure, why not? Because they weren't regulating it. They just said, do grab something from your face or your house and put it over your face. It works. No, it doesn't. Then down here, it says it's important for everyone. Wear cloth face coverings in public settings. Cloth face coverings provide an extra layer to help prevent respiratory droplets. Fake news. On top of that, we now know that this is dangerous for you. It increases your risk. That's why they don't want you to see this now. Here's another page. Recommendation regarding the use of cloth face mask coverings especially in areas of significant community transmission. It says, <clears throat> we now know from recent studies, which you can look at and laugh at with everybody because they're not correct, that a significant portion of individuals with coronavirus lack symptoms. Another example of how you can see these fake, quick, 
hot flash in a pan studies they pumped out that are now shown to be wildly false, which you need to stand back and go, were they lying or were they just that bad at their own studies? I think you know which is the honest example. They got caught lying a million times so far. But they wanted you to think, oh, everybody's got it because nobody looks like they're sick, but everybody's got it. Wasn't true. A significant portion of individuals with coronavirus lack symptoms, not true. And that even those that eventually develop symptoms, they can transmit it before they show symptoms. Now, every aspect of the science, including the, the asymptomatic studies, have shown that the symptoms are what spread this. Simple. CDC recommends wearing cloth face coverings. Again, advising the use of simple cloth face coverings, cloth face coverings fashioned from household items, made at home in common materials. The face cloth coverings recommended are not surgical masks. Why? Well, because those are critical supplies that must continue to be reserved for healthcare workers. Whatever their narrative was, it's obvious that they pushed cloth masks. And now we can see that whether you believe it was intentional or not, all they were doing was hurrying you. So you should ask the next time they push something whether it's the right choice. Finally, here's somebody who pointed out the point out another study that I want to add to the same point to finish this last one before we finish off with Ukraine. Inhaling those forever chemicals multiple hours a day for two years. What can it do? Well, here's the, please thank you for un, the, whatever that, however you say that, for posting this. Here's the study. Environmental challenges induced by extensive use of face masks during COVID-19, April 2021. Here's what it says. The mask wastes also conveyed into the rivers and enters the fresh water and seawater. Now, of course, they're only talking about specifically marine issues here, but think about how this overlaps to you. As a result, it is also possible to poison the animals, or you, which ingest the plastic. It may destroy them directly, or you, or may weaken them, or you, or render them more vulnerable to other threats, you know, like other viruses. Exactly the point. It's amazing how obvious this is, isn't it? Finally, Bernie's tweets points out, just to, to add on to the idea that this is not just hurting the environment because of the dangers they're putting out in the environment, but the fact that they're just dumping and burning this stuff everywhere. You know, the PPE they said was about saving your life that they ordered and spent all the billions of dollars on. And that was another example of massive money laundering because a lot of this is wasted. Because one, it was just about buying this and using the money and giving money to their other, the other businesses that work along with them or that censor people the right way or demand vaccine passports. As she says, a reminder, the government is burning, burning 15,000 pallets of unsuitable PPE per month at a value of $8.7 uh, pounds, I believe, of taxpayer money dumped in sites like this, not only an economic and that environmental disaster, a criminal act. Why this country is I can't stand that. Stupid, and they wonder that, that stupid song. I'm sorry about that. All for the COVID crisis. They wonder why the UK government is broken crazy. Just simply showing you all of the PPE in these. I mean, it's a huge pile. And I mean, old face shields that like moments later, they said weren't even valid anymore, right? CDC's like, no, those don't work. They spent your money on it and it's just sitting there. I mean, this is why people can't even feed their families. And this, this is being burned. Look at all that PPE. My God. Criminal. Now, finally, this is an important conversation, actually. I want to make sure people really hear this discussion about what's happening in Ukraine. This, this speaks to the very beginning of the way this all started, not, not the entire situation that dates back to 19, 
48 and before, but the real idea of 19, 2014 forward, the U.S. regime change, and what the plan was to drive Russia to take this action, which does not necessarily mean that Russia, therefore, good guy. That's a childish thing to jump to. It's simply pointing out the facts that they did want this to happen. Maybe Russia did too, right? See how those things aren't mutually exclusive? <laughs> it's called being objective. But Porchenko, the, one of the earliest regime change puppets put in place by the U.S. government, let slip in an interview and confirmed that the Minsk agreements meant nothing to them. And they did not plan to fulfill the points of the agreement. They needed all this in order to build up military power to prepare for war. Exactly. Now, of course, I don't just use a tweet to make that point. Of course not. Here's the interview. (laughs) Here's the interview from a Ukrainian outlet. It says, I believe that the Minsk agreements have fulfilled their task. Well, what was their task exactly? Well, he goes on to make that clear. June 15th. He stated this in an interview with journalist, publicist, and blogger. Well, it says right here, the fifth president of Ukraine, the leader of the European Solidarity Party, Petro Poroshenko, is convinced that the Minsk agreements fulfilled what they were adopted for. They gave Ukrainians eight years to prepare. Like, that's the point, right? They weren't. It wasn't about coming to some kind of resolution and having peace, which is what they pretended, and they still pretend, acting like Russia broke the agreement. No, they gave, They were simply using that to keep Russia in bay, at bay so they could prepare for what they wanted to happen. At least that's what he's saying. So you could, as always, question everything, but recognize this is somebody who, un, who has inside information about what the U.S. government was trying to accomplish. He stayed in an interview with the journalist, publicist, and blogger, uh, uh, blogger Pornikov, for a joint project of four, guess what, guys? Radio Svoboda. You know, that openly Nazi, neo-Nazi entity. The the political party, Svoboda, which is very clearly an openly neo-Nazi element in this area that none of the corporate press even mentions. He sat down to have a conversation with them because that's what they do, you know. The task of the Minx agreements, he says, was to avert the threat or at least postpone the war to give Ukraine eight years to restore economic growth and build up the armed forces of Ukraine. So it was an illusion. It was a lie, a deception. The politician is convinced the Minsk agreements have fulfilled their task. Poroshenko reminded that during the years of his presidency, he managed to avoid a full-scale invasion. So considering that he's admitting that they knew this wasn't going to be anything but a war because they wanted the war, ask yourself what that all means in regard to what's actually happening. Right. So here's uh, CNN talking about 100 million people around the world, which, by the way, is a little bit dishonest because there's plenty of people around the world that aren't associated with Ukraine, which is what they're including there. 100 million people around the world have been forced to flee their homes. That's more than the population of most countries. Now, it doesn't necessarily discuss. It does talk about specifically uh, UN refugees, but the it seems to argue that 100 million alone, like th- this is as always CNN min- fudging the facts to make their narrative. But the bottom line is, Ukrainians have been displaced because of the war in general, which everybody has a fault, a, a, a play, a, you know, a hand in. But if they knew that they wanted this to happen, in fact, that they made sure it would happen, whose fault is that then? Right. When they drove action and crossed 14 red lines that Russia set out long before this ever started, that nobody, the corporate media even has the courage to point at. Obviously, they drove this into action. And then on top of that, make sure you hear what the French reporter is saying. Returning from Ukraine, openly reporting in French media that Americans are, quote, in charge of the war. Well, it's not shocking to anybody with brain cells, but the idea is clearly that you can see on the ground that the U.S. government is dictating what's happening there. 
that, that that's also very clear to see by the fact that something like 90% of all the all the military aid coming in is from the US government. Oh gee, and all the all the resources and all the logistics and everything they're doing just like the war they're conducting in Yemen that they pretend is only Saudi Arabia. But the point is here you can see this what here's here's funny actually. This this person post post this French reporter returning from Ukraine acknowledges Ukraines are directly in charge of the war. Look what it says. Following media includes potentially sensitive content. It's very sensitive. Oh, is it is it graphic? Is it is it blood? Oh no, it's just them telling you what you don't want people to hear. I see. Super, super sensitive. Sensitive reality that Ukraine is in control by the US government. Isn't that funny? Not funny at all. It's pretty ridiculous. The point is, you can watch the clip for yourself. The French media is saying the U.S. government is in charge. And I found myself facing the Pentagon. It's not hard to see what's going on here. Here's German TV. And I'll just let you listen to it for yourself. Admitting that Russia is very clearly winning this war. Making it, it's plainly obvious. we got to stop lying about this. Like, open, as Vanessa Bealey points out, truth grenades on German TV. So guess what that means? Since Bealey shared this video... And German TV is the one she's pointing at. Therefore, German TV works for Russian government. See how that logic works? That's called logic, according to the corporate media, according to whatever that garbage outlet was that talked Guardian and the ISD. According to their kind of logic, because the German TV was posted by Venezuela and they're saying the same thing she is, they must work for the Russian government. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? Journalism. Finally, and this, well, I, I keep saying that, but well, more in point, this is interesting because this is uh, Seth uh, Harp, currently focused on Syria and geopol. Oh, this is an investigative reporter contributing to Rolling Stone, New Yorker, so mainstream media, corporate media. Incredibly sobering account of the battle in Donetsk from an American volunteer with the Ukrainian army, which is really interesting to see because what it says is exactly what we've already reported to you from people like Henry Hoft. It says the deaths and injuries have been in vain because it is an absolute S show out here. We had a two-hour firefight that later turned out to be against Ukrainian special forces. Sort of sounds like exactly what happened between, you know, the State Department and the CIA on the ground in Syria, where they had their own proxy forces fighting each other. <laughs> sounds like a pretty obvious overlap. They keep comparing Syria to Ukraine. Maybe it's more accurate than we realize. It is because they're doing the same playbook. It says, it is unbelievable what goes on here. If it was not for blank, I wouldn't be nowhere near this ridiculous mess. I have seen and been all around the country, and there is no way the Ukrainians will win this way. They are fighting and utilizing their asset forces. It is an absolute waste. The media tells only one side. Not shocking to you guys. I'm he I am here. I see the reality. Bridges blown up. That's actually really relevant to our last point here. Bridges blown up while friendly forces are still on the other side. No communication between units. Friendly fire all the time just lost a British uh, sniper who was on his way to a position and got evaporated by Ukrainian bombings. Right, did, does Britain speak up about that? Was Britain outraged that the Ukrainian forces accidentally killed one of their fighters? Nobody cares. I stand with Ukraine, right, guys? They tell us we have support and then fire off three mortars and call it a day. They give a guy who has never used an automatic grenade launcher and then tell us that he'll be their direct support at nighttime from 1.2 kilometers away. I didn't make that up. It's an effing S show. He says, the Ukrainians are brave. I'll say that. As for the rest, I can only shake my head as good men die for no good reason at all. Guy, that's coming from corporate media, right? That, that's corporate media reporting this as his confirmed statement from somebody he knows that's in Ukraine. It's amazing how this is breaking down. And this is funny. This person says, 
if this is true, why Russia is still not winning there? I wonder about the bot. What do you think? The point is, guys, that that's why exactly do you think Russia not winning there? Because the media told you that. I mean, literally, in that thing, we have to take it at face value, but it at least gives the point that the media is only telling one side. And then so Francesco steps in and goes, well, 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 why then aren't they winning? Because they are winning. That's the point. This guy puts out, they are. That's the point. Stop listening to what they tell you and blindly following it. But one last point to counter in this segment, the lies being spun by the Ukrainian government. It says Ukraine to restrict Russian books, music, in latest cultural break. See, this is the kind of garbage you get from corporate media. Do you know what that would happen if it was Iran doing that to some other culture? They would call it in the latest, you know, cultural shock because of their discrimination or, you know, whatever they would spin it as. It's not a cultural break. That is, that is censorship. I mean, you are, that's book burning. You are literally burning books because it's, I shouldn't say literally, but, you know, analogy wise, whether you're burning them or throwing them away, you're removing culture because it's Russian related. Is that Russian government culture? No, this is unacceptable. And anybody, especially the woke virtue signalers in the United States would lose their minds if anybody else was doing this other than Ukraine. Maybe other than Ukraine and Israel, because they're doing it too. Nobody else matters though, right? Or nobody else is allowed to do it. That's that's censorship. That's bigotry. That's racism. How dare you censor them because they're Russian? Which is what's been happening everywhere. As I said, remember when, remember when the fact that the current regime the Ukraine regime led by the puppet Zelensky was not allowing people to speak Russian anymore. And that was called fake news by every outlet, despite it being an easy fact to verify, which I did. Well, obviously this is happening guys. If they're set, if they're removing Russian books and music, it's the same point. They're trying to ethnically cleanse the area. It's a war crime guys. Hashtag corporate media lies. But apparently Reuters is okay with it because it's a cultural break. It's because Russia, bad guy. How pathetic. Now for what's really going on on the ground, here's Eva Bartlett. About a half hour ago, this was today, somewhere east of Donetsk center, the Ukraine, Ukraine continues its relentless bombardment of the civilian area in Donetsk and Gorlovka. Western corporate media says silent, stays silent or blames Russia with no evidence. This, this is undeniably a civilian location. There's no justification for this. There's no front line there. It's disgusting, guys. And no, they're just acting like it's not happening. Here is Patrick uh, Lancaster reporting on the 19th. Many dead as Ukraine artillery hits Donetsk harder than ever before. This has been overwhelmingly obvious. There's people from even the corporate media being forced to admit, like, we're obviously watching Ukraine bomb Donetsk right now. It's a civilian area. But the Fox CNNs of the world is blindly just ignoring it because they're disgusting and hypocrites. All of them, two-party illusion. Here's an example of what's going on. This Ukrainian man is crying over his girlfriend's dead body. She was injured during the shelling of the Donetsk area and ultimately died. Here's Jim pointing out the, quote, the suffering and deaths of the people of Donetsk, Donetsk don't Donetsk. I think I've been saying it wrong. Eva was saying Donetsk, and that does actually look more correct. Donetsk doesn't fit the Western narrative, so they misreport it or simply don't reference it at all, enabling Ukraine to continue to commit war crimes. That's a quote from Eva Bartlett. You can read the, read the article. Please do. The evidence is overwhelming. 
And, and that's the main thing to think about. By gaslighting and covering this up, you're giving them a green light to keep going because that's probably what they want. Not necessarily the media talking heads, but the government controlling what they do. Here in the, the series report from Catherine Austin Fitz, Russia has started stated that it will inflict strikes on decision-making centers in retaliation for the recent attack on a cert, on a specific drilling platform in Crimea. Now, I, I hadn't heard about this until I saw this report. This is from today that Sirius Report's pointing this out. So I've decided to look into this and find out what's going on. Because if Ukraine is bombing Crimea, again, that's not a front line. You're, you're, you're choosing to bomb into an open civilian area for punitive action. That's a war crime no matter how you spin it. So here is what Reuters is reporting as of today. Ukraine hits oil Crimean drilling platform, pro-Russian head says. So again, what's interesting to me is they've only just started to allow that, that kind of reporting. Up until now, they never even report what the other side says. It's been Ukraine says, and that's been the story. Sort of like they still do in Israel. But the interesting overlap here is I think it's because of how obvious this is getting. That you can't, you, you, at some point you are actively hurting. I mean, they're hurting their own business model by doing what they do. But at some point, it gets so obvious that, it, I mean, even your internal people are going, come on, man, like we can see that's not true. But here's what it says. Ukrainian forces attacked the drilling platforms in the Black Sea owned by Crimean oil and gas company. Three people were wounded and a search was underway for seven workers from the area, from a specific company. I'm not going to try to pronounce this word. <laughs> it says Crimean officials said the work on three drilling platforms had been suspended. So there you go right there, guys. That's an obvious point in regard to the fuel issue, the gas shortage, the Putin gas hike, as allegedly in this case so far, Ukrainians are attacking specific drilling platforms because that's not related at all, right? Ukraine's military stood up and screamed they didn't do it like they have every other time they were called out. No, that's interesting deviation. This time they didn't decline to comment. Well, that's an interesting signal. That doesn't mean that yes, but every other time they've made a huge statement, oh, we wouldn't do that. We're fighting for freedom. Not this time. This time they did the, they took the Israel route. They said no comment. The company is under U.S. and European sanctions. So it's an, actually a company that they may, they really don't want to get oil out or resources out. And it just so happens to get bombed. What a coincidence, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Russian officials have expressed concern over Ukrainian military figures saying they would like to target the infrastructure, such as the Kerch Bridge linking Crimea to Russia as part of Ukrainian counteroffensive. Now, what's funny is they say Russian officials have expressed concern as if they didn't happen. But it did. First of all, not, to, not you're going to trust Telesaur if you don't trust, you know, whatever else. But if Kiev had the opportunity, it would have attacked the Crimean Bridge long ago, and it still would if given the chance. It quotes the Ukrainian National Security and Defense Council secretary saying on Wednesday, here is Babel.ua reporting that the secretary of national security, same person, says the same thing. He told Radio NV about it. He said, quote, if we have the ability to do it. To bomb that bridge, we would have already done it. If there is an opportunity to do it, we'll definitely do it. So first of all, we're not talking about the same point that was just bombed. This is in regard to drilling platforms. But the point is, Russia was saying they've spoke up about all of this stuff. They want to bomb the bridges. They want to bomb this stuff in Crimea. That's what Russia was saying. We know they're going to do that. What I'm proving to you now is that on the record before this happened, they were the ones confirming that they did say that. But today, it's fake news. Here's the actual, this is directly from U Ukrainian media. It's, it's uh, translated. 
about the strike on the Crimean Bridge and the end of everything Russian and Ukraine? Isn't, isn't that a little bit bigoted or racist? Yeah, only when they say it and we don't frame it the right way, right? They're trying to remove everything Russian from Ukraine. And it's not supposed to be okay, except when it's this propagandized situation, right? Can you imagine if like the U.S. government was trying to ethnically cleanse anything, any religion out of the United States? People would lose their collective minds. But they all stand with Ukraine while this happens because what are they supposed to do? And it's a war. You know, of course they should ethnically cleanse and commit war crimes. What are they going to do? It's a war. (laughs) The rationalization is ridiculous. But here's where it says it very clearly. Can Ukraine hit that bridge? They simply say, if they had the ability to do it, he would have already done it. If it's possible to do so, we will definitely do it. That's a war crime. It's not It's not a front line. They're not in the middle of the conflict. That's a Crimean bridge that's necessary for lots of things, but one which is obviously a connection for the military too. The bottom line, though, is to bomb that is a civilian location. And they just said, we'll do it if we could. They don't care how obvious these things are. They're the ones openly saying they want to ethnically cleanse everybody in Donbass. They want to murder anybody, civilian or military, that works with Russia, or rather just supports them in any way, whether verbally or just on social media. We've already seen them kick down doors and say, did you post this on Facebook? And the guy's like, I'm so sorry. Like, that's happening right now. That's the Ukraine military. They are crazy extremists right now. Now, here again is from Ukraine Today, where it says Ukraine may destroy these exact locations. Secretary, I, I just pointed out the same point. Speaking with the same radio show, we will definitely do it. So my point is showing you that they've already said they want to hit these locations. So why suddenly now when they start to be hit, are they fake news and only Russia said we can't prove it and Ukraine said nothing? These are war crimes. What they're doing is attacking civilian locations so they hurt people. So they stop Russia from being able to conduct their operations, whether it's military related or not. There was a, I think it was one point in here I, I missed somewhere. It's okay. I think that's good enough. I made the point. Just simply that they make the argument that they would do it because they want to stop Russia from what they're doing. Not because it's legal, not because it makes sense. Finally, remember the Kramastork station attack? April 9th, BBC, what we know so far. I just want to make sure that we remember that the idea was that the, the Tochka-U missiles were used by Ukraine, even according to the BBC, even according to the, the reports in this. Of course, there's back and forth around Russia and Ukraine, but I want to make sure we understand that this is something Ukraine absolutely has the ability to fire. Well, here's RT. Ukraine army used Tochka-U rocket in fatal Donetsk, Don, Donetsk missile attack. Local experts claim. That's what, we're, we're, that's what we're just talking about. 36 civilians, 20 injured, over 36 civilians in these areas that are being bombed. Civilian. But of course, because it's on RT, it must be fake news, right? So all those out there that are just surveying because you think we're fake news. Oh, I knew it. RT, what a fake news purveyor. But what about Atlantic Council? What is that? What, is that still fake news for you? Do you think that's fake news? Oh, you can't pick both, right? Because this is supposed to be the good guy side, right? April 27th. Russian crisis military assessment, the race to to resupply Ukraine. Well, here's what Atlantic Council had to say about the same thing. It's pretty interesting. The fires were likely started by a Ukrainian air missile attack, not a Russian stage false flag, talking about specifically the fuel depots. We just pointed out, right? Though the Kremlin has pushed multiple narratives to justify its aggression, it would be illogical to harm its own critical fuel supplies. (laughs) Oops despite the, the backward logic of the corporate media, simply going, yeah, they're crazy. He's just a madman, likes to bomb things. No, it doesn't make sense because that's an obvious detrimental thing to do. 
because they need those areas, right? So the fact that Ukraine pointed at it and has now arguably attacked it is an obvious strategic move. Here is the Atlantic Council from the U.S. government acknowledging first that that's most likely a Ukrainian attack. Now, what did they use on that attack? Most likely, the Ukrainians conducted a missile attack using a Toshka-U tactical ballistic missile. Look at that. I hope there was at least one person going fake news to the RT article, just so we can make this point, because now they're confused. But the point is, the Toshka-U is used by Ukraine. So going back to the missile attack on the train station, then we start to connect the dots, right? And realize that there's no reason Russia would be using an old Soviet-era weapon. Now, the reason Ukraine would use one is so it looked like Russia did it because it's a Soviet weapon, so they must be Russia. Too late, though, it's already been exposed. Now, we know they've used them, and that's out of the bag. But so now we're, you know, that's April 9th. That's April 9th, uh, 20, yeah, 2022. So going all the way forward now, now it's a different story. Well, now we know they use them, but now we're pointing at different things. But we have to connect those dots. So the train station, again, not even talking about the Azimuth you know, triangulation or whatever you call it, that proves that the missile, which was Tochka U, had to have come from Ukrainian territory. The point is Bucha, the train station, these are verifiable false flags tried to be conducted by Ukraine that fell on their face. And even the corporate media stopped talking about them. How about Ghost of Kiev, Snake Island, the, the, the uh, Ukrainian official that has now admitted she lied about Russians raping people. I mean, they just keep getting caught lying, keep getting caught lying, and it just doesn't stop. It says, likely part of a Ukrainian strategy to target critical logistics lines and supplies, starving Russian military forces and needed fuel and munitions, despite the fact that what they're doing are war crimes in civilian areas. But, you know, whatever. No biggie. And then finally, I just saw this before I went live. Uh, Richard Medhurst pointing out, Ukrainians are selling those weapons that are supplied by the U.S. using your tax dollars and NATO on the dark net. Look at that. Now, I can't confirm this for myself. It's a it's a Telegram channel that's posting these links from the dark net and a sale of them. And you can prove by the pictures anyway, they look like U.S. weaponry. But it says they're selling javelins on the dark net. The command of the armed forces of Ukraine resell equipment and weapons supplied by NATO to the Middle East and North Africa. Anyone with a Tor browser can buy this right now. Now, he goes on to go, he goes through this and talks about other things to confirm what he's talking about. Richard Medhurst is not someone that typically points at things without the, without the ability to prove what he's saying. But nonetheless, think about how ridiculous that is on the idea of dumping all. I mean, it's just like what's happened in Afghanistan. They left all that weaponry that's then being used by warlords, being sold in the black market. I mean, that's what happens. This is money laundering. And what happens with the weaponry? It doesn't even matter after that. The, the, the war companies, the the pervade, the merchants of death already made their money. They already got theirs, right? So it doesn't matter. All this is obvious, as it always tends to be. The question is whether or not you can see it and care to help others see the same. Because that's what we're here for, right? To help this get seen by everybody that has the ability to see it. And then to get them to see that we're part of the majority, that the majority sees what's happening. I got to put that thing back up. I keep this in the light that drops right here. But thank you for being here today. This information is very clear and you are the majority and you're not alone. And, and you, it's important that we really embrace that reality because it's falling apart. And if we allow them to take that just one more step to take back this, to reinitiate lockdowns, to reinforce the mass or to, what they're doing with the children right now. I mean, it's, it's, we're on the precipice, guys, and we need to take a stand about all of this stuff because the evidence and the facts are on your side. It's as simple as that.
Stay the course, guys. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Для тех, кто смотрит, будет смотреть эту информацию. Господин Пурчинов, господин Яценюк, господин Тегнебок, и же с ними. Я это заявляю открыто и достоверно знаю, что это... Проплаченные агенты Центрального разведуправления США. Ведь мало кто знает, что основной беспредел творил господин Ахметов Ренат Леонидович, господин Коломойский, глава Всемирного еврейского конгресса, господин Фирташ и же с ними. Все вот эти олигархи. А теперь это... Просто прямая оккупация Соединенными Штатами Украины через подставных лиц.